general nerdery. I was so excited. I had so much plans for what I was going to do to prep for this episode. I was gonna play like a bunch of the video games. I borrowed like the ones from when I was in high school, like Mortal Kombat Deadly Alliance and... Deception? Annihilation was the one that I could get my hands on. Oh, I couldn't okay. get my hands on Deception. And I was gonna watch the movie and I did nothing. I spent like 20 minutes on the wiki and Cece just tarred my ass for like an hour on Mortal Kombat <laughs> Annihilation. And that was it. That was any everything. And then last night I find out that the new one's on the Switch and I could have just oh, gotten the new shit. game. And yeah, like, dude, the new one's really good too. Anyway, I was a I'm really surprised you actually didn't start with I didn't have the words for it. General Nerdery. I got it. I got it. Welcome to General Nerdery, guys. This is your podcast about liking things. In this one, it's your podcast about liking Mortal Kombat for reasons we don't quite understand. I'm Zach. I'm Tyler. Yeah. Mortal Kombat will be our main focus today because, unlike you, I have done more research than I have done since fucking college. I was going to say, you've done more research for this than you've done in all our podcast episodes combined before. Just about. And you're the guy that does our news, which means you do most of the research. Yeah, yeah, it was a lot this week. Give you the behind-the-scenes magic in both my podcasts. Uh, I have picked people that do really good research because I do really shitty research. And I just show up to be charming, I guess? I don't know. I'm here. I also somehow edited the episode yesterday. I don't know how I did all of that at once. I still don't actually know how I ended up with all of this written down that I have in front of me. But it happened. I'm going to make use of it. Before that happens, what have you been ingesting? You know, I have three things. Okay. Okay. And they are all wildly different things, so that's always fun. Uh, first, I have been listening to the March of 10,000 Soldiers, Spartans, Greeks. The, the translation varies. By Xenophon. Xenophon was a Greek general around 400 BC. Okay. Uh, the, before Ish. Alexander the Great. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He wrote two very famous things. He wrote... March of 10,000 Soldiers, which is a true story of when his army was working for a Persian king or like someone who's trying to become the Persian king and they're winning the battle. They're about to like become the most powerful mercenaries in per the Achaemenid Persian Empire. But the guy they're winning the battle for dies in the fight. Oh, they're like, we'll make Cyrus king. And Cyrus is like fucking dead. <laughs> <laughs> and they're suddenly in the middle of Persia, 10,000 Greeks being like, well. So we're going to go <laughs> and like the politics of like the Persians being like, do we just want to let these people go? Like they're not trying to fight us. The reason they were fighting us is dead. Or do we kill them for, you know, being a 10,000 man hoplite army in the middle of the Achaemenid Persian Empire? And the Greeks are like, whatever, we're good either way. <laughs> um, but I started reading this because I was trying to read... His other famous one is about Cyrus the Great, who was the founder of the Persian Empire. And he's writing about Cyrus as a war treatise. Like, this is what a general should be. And I do my other podcast about war treatises and shit. So I was like, this would be perfect. Right. But we get to the intro of it. And the guy that's doing the intro, who did all the editing, is like the most bro-y 
translator I have ever fucking heard of in my life. Like, oh no, heard. And he is was it like, like one of oh, I'm he, gonna. Is it like one of those corporate translations? Yes. I did not know this was a thing until now. But no, because I the very first copy of the Art of War I ever picked up was a uh, corporate translation. Oh man, it's a thing. And he's like, you know. Uh, Cyrus says it's benevolent, benevolent conqueror, and I'm like, okay, those are, those words don't work together, but okay, I know what you're going like, for. <laughs> that's fine. Like he was much nicer than the conquerors of the era, but, and then he's like, you know, every corporate person should take advice from this. And I'm like, that's strange. I have issues with when corporations are like, oh, we'll fucking translate to, uh, you know, war treatises. That that's weird. That is different goals than I want them to have. Right. Um, or different mindset than I want them to have. And then he's like, you know, this guy was so much better. Like Cyrus and, and Xenophon were both better than Sun Tzu and Machiavelli. And I'm like, we fucking did those once. We're back on track here. Like, I, I want to hear this. Like I added some stuff from the old Testament. Like, God damn it, man. Oh no. Cyrus comes up in the old Testament. Right. Yes, so I does. get that. But uh, to fill out some stuff. And then Xenophon, who's like the greatest general of all time, according to this guy, wasn't brave enough to write this in the first person, so I changed it from third person to first person. I'm like, what the f- you- No. You can't talk about how great the voice was of this person you're claiming to translate. And I know translations get changed a lot. Yeah. And Look then at complete- all the Bibles. Oh my God. And then completely change <laughs> every aspect of the book. Like, no, that doesn't fucking work. And I tried it and I got about five minutes in and was like, nope, this is dumb. He just compared himself to a god. Uh, <laughs> wow. And it annoyed me because I'm listening to this as a Xenophon. And yeah, it's a 2,500 year old book. So like it, it has its oddities and difficult to listen to. But Xenophon's voice is so fucking strong. Like mm-hmm. we did not need your help here, weird corporate man. Yeah. <laughs> You guys with Art of War game, you guys should cross over with like a business podcast and do one of the corporate translations of the Art of War. And just watch me get angry at yeah. the podcast. <laughs> Did not know I had this anger until yesterday when I was listening to this. So thanks, 2020. You taught me new things. And then my other two I'll keep short because that one was way longer description than I meant to. Played a game called Overcooked for the Switch. I've heard of it. It should not be as fun as it is for me because it's working in a kitchen. And I fucking hate working in the kitchen when I do it. Like, yeah. But there's something about like, oh, I don't care about this. This is just like chilling out on my couch doing this that makes it kind of like fun puzzle challenge, but what mm. the fuck? And then finally I just listened to the Discworld uh, Discworld Myths and Legends or something like that. Folklore of the Discworld. Oh, cool. Okay. Which is just uh, Terry Pratchett talking about the things that inspired him for Discworld folklore. Like, oh, I used, you know, this Bobby Yage reference here, or I used, but written by Terry Pratchett, so it's still really charming. Nice. Yeah. Um, Super strong things. Yeah, I kind of forgot I was doing it. Fell asleep to it a bunch of things. Yeah. Yeah. Earlier today, I was like, shit, what have I been ingesting? And then I realized that I just got, like, this is my fifth day off because I took a couple extra days off for my birthday. <laughs> I've been ingesting so fucking much this week. So, uh, finished the second season of Harley Quinn. It was great. Still haven't started it. Still really want to. Uh, binged all of Space Force on net- Netflix. 
It's great. I've it's not of, like super great, but it's it gets better than what it starts as. I've the, kind of thought about doing an episode of that for or us because that's one of my excuses to watch certain things. Mm-hmm. Like, oh yeah, we could record an episode about it. It's it's fine and gets better by the end. The weirdest thing is that one of the characters on there, Captain Ali, I have been listening to her podcast for the past two years. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Captain Ollie is played by Tawny Newsom, one of the hosts of Yo's This Racist. It is really weird hearing her voice and seeing her face at the same time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I definitely have that. Uh, but yeah, that was fine. Um, got my girlfriend into Doom Patrol, so I have rewatched three quarters, or more than that, like four fifths of the first season. Watched the first two episodes of the second season, which dropped on Thursday. I'm saving the last one for tonight as a good way to end off my weekend. That sounds awesome. The last one, they finally get around to doing Red Jack, which is one of my favorite little characters from Doom Patrol, so that's awesome. But the big thing that ended up taking up more time than I really thought it was going to end up this weekend, I picked up this game Ancestors, the Humankind Odyssey. God, it's different. So, I normally don't play survival games. It's a survival game. Oh, okay. So, like, Ark and shit? Yes, but the premise of this one is it's made by a lot of the same team that I think made the original Assassin's Creed. You start off 10 million years ago. Okay. And you start off as the member of one of humans' ancestors. Yeah, like Australopithecus or something like that. Yeah, yeah. You're as... As monkey as you can be while still being human ancestor. You're the missing link. And they give you almost no instruction. They say, this button is to use your intelligence. This button is to use your hearing. This button is to use your smell. This button is to grab things. This sounds amazing. And then as you go through and do things, you, like, level up. But your leveling up isn't like about your character it's you're trying to build humanity and so you're growing these new neurons as you learn how to do things like you pick up things enough times and you learn how to not just pick it up but then move it over to the other hand once you learn how to move it over to the other hand then you can start doing other things like fashioning tools and you reinforce these different traits through generations while you're trying to keep your tribe alive and then eventually at different points like you can make different evolutionary jumps and i think even by end game you're still like two million years ago rather than 10 million years ago like you never get to modern humans Mm -hmm. but you build humanity from the get-go with almost nothing i think i really desperately need to play this game Oh my god, that sounds so good. (laughs) I normally don't have the patience for survival games, or like the right kind of patience, and I really don't like, I don't like going into a video game and being as helpless as you normally are in survival games. That's why I don't play them much. Yeah, but in this one, there was just something so rewarding about having so little information and such basic controls and just figuring out how to do these things. Even just, like, the first time I accidentally threw a rock rather than just set it down, 
You're like, whoa! It's like, oh, oh shit, oh shit, oh, I can yeah. do that. And then there's, um, and like I said, it's from the makers of Assassin's Creed, and you start off as pretty monkey-like, so there's a lot of climbing up trees and shit, so that's kind of neat. <laughs> that sounds great. Um, and then there's, they just did really neat little subtle things with some of the animations that I'm falling in love with. Um, when you stop to use your senses, you have the option to stand up so that you have a wider range of what mm. you can take in. The more often you stand up, the more like, you stay up. The more you stay up. So then when you start walking away, instead of immediately going back down to all fours, suddenly your character starts taking two or three steps before sinking down. And then later on, as you do it more and more, they're taking seven, eight steps before sinking back down. And then as they get more used to that, then they wade through the water fast, a little bit faster. And Is this for Expo? Uh, uh, yeah, it was originally for computer. It got ported earlier this year. It came out late last year for PC. It got ported earlier this year for other systems, but I'm not sure what all. I've been playing it on my Xbox, but... Cool. I can at least look for it. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure if I would pay, like, $60 for it. I got it for 20 It is a masterpiece at 20 I think it would be a masterpiece at 40 Cool. Don't know if I'd pay sixty because some of the controls are still weirdly janky. But it's an Assassin's Creed company game. Yeah, they do great stuff. But every once in a while, you're like, "Why did you leap into? Why? No, <laughs> that was not the pile of hay." Oh, <laughs> fuck leaping! So I don't know how many times my monkeys have fallen out of trees at this point. <laughs> you know, that was not a sentence I expected to hear today. Um, um and it also. I do have to say also, it was really weird to get used to play it because I was very, when jumping in it the first time, I grew very attached to my first monkey mm -hmm. and then realized that that's not the point of the game. Like, you kind of <laughs> have to let them all die. You, It's best to, like, switch generations almost whenever you can just to, like, reinforce certain genetic traits. Fucking go. So... I don't know. It's been this weird thing where, like, I ha also have to accept mortality a little bit more <laughs> while like, <laughs> while playing it. I, it's fucking weird, but really cool, real good. So, I also have news. It's good. Don't know how you're gonna top the history of human evolution for the news, but you know, you know, I think I might have something. <laughs> this episode of Wonders, boys. This this very first one might top the entire history of human evolution, <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. Uh, Eli Craig, the director of Tucker and Dale vs. Evil, will be directing a new horror comedy for Netflix called The Hills Have Eyes for You, written by the writer of uh, Behind the Mask, The Rise of Leslie Vernon, uh, David Stive. Did you have to go take a nap after getting this news? This is, like, designed this for... This is the let's best make thing. Tyler so happy. <laughs> this is the best thing, and it's genre, so I can bring it up. Oh, God. <laughs> That's not genre. That's just Tyler. That is Tyler as a human made into movie form. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Behind the Mask, Rise of Leslie Vernon is one of the smartest horror movies I have ever ran across. Horror comedy. Well, and you and I both really like Tucker and Dale. Mm-hmm. Those things combined, I can only guess. And The Hills Have Eyes for You is a hilarious it's a terrible title. Line, but it's good. Uh, <laughs> Tucker and Dale is one of those that, I mean, we've made it very clear. I don't watch horror movies, but I saw that and I'm like, all right. Okay. <laughs> 
Alan Tudyk and the guy from Reaper. Yeah. Uh, Tyler Labine. So great. I am in. Uh, on the slight horror bent, uh, just to update, because we brought up Evil Dead Now. Uh, Evil Dead Now is not actually entitled Evil Dead Now. It is entitled Evil Dead Rise and will not be set in a cabin. That's just a slight update. <laughs> it'll be Evil Dead Rise or it'll just be Rise? Evil Dead Rise. I think I like Evil Dead Now a little better. I mean, it kind of sounds like a, like, 90s Coke commercial, but... Oh, it reminds me of, like, the the Dogma Catholicism Wow campaign. <laughs> <laughs> Evil Dead Wow! Yeah. Evil Dead Now! <laughs> see, the ad campaign is already set up. <laughs> uh, let's see. Big Mouth, Central Park, Family Guy, and The Simpsons will all recast their characters of color with actors of color. I had never even heard of Central Park before reading this. Good for them. The I was thinking about this one. The danger of this one, and I get how important it is to, you know, make sure to cast characters of color with actors of color, because character actors of color are not getting enough voiceover jobs like it's just not super common but we have to make sure it doesn't fall into the trap of they only get to play right characters of color like which is a fine line yeah i agree although i think some of what might help that is not having characters of color always fall into certain tropes all the time yeah Let's just, you know, confront racism in our storytelling. Which is probably a little bit more making <laughs> sure that people of color are better represented behind yeah, the writer's scenes. room, yeah. Um, rather than in front of the camera, but as we've talked about, or I mean, doing the voice in this case, but representation matters. It's also super powerful to be able to see yourself, hear yourself on screen. So this is still a step forward, but honestly, like... It's not a huge step. Like, it's cool. Like, I'm glad they're doing it. But I think more representation in the writers' rooms are really what uh, is more important at this point in time. Yeah. Not that this isn't important, not that it's not good. But My white ass is really careful talking about stuff like this. <laughs> I can be a little bit more lax. <laughs> a little bit. Um, Your family ain't Norwegian, man. I just have uh, to... Part <laughs> of it is. <laughs> there's, there's two sides. <laughs> <laughs> That's her. Universal has greenlit a magic school bus movie starring Elizabeth Banks. Zach and Mary make a porno's Elizabeth Banks. See, I think of her as Scrubs as Elizabeth Banks, but same concept. Mm -hmm. So far, she's actually the only thing confirmed about it. They don't have a director. They don't have... I don't know if they have a writer. They might have a writer. They don't have a producer, but they've greenlit it. Universal's going in with Scholastic... And I think the fact that they already have Elizabeth Banks on board is what's supposed to be their big draw. You know... Oh, she's producing, and there are two other producers. I guess it's not that they don't have producers yet, but... You know, she directs movies. Just give it to her. Mm -hmm. Just let... I heard Charlie's Angels wasn't that good, which doesn't surprise me, because the concept of Charlie's Angels is not... It's great. fine. Yeah. I also heard it was all right, though. Yeah, it was. And that was the thing. Everyone's like, Charlie's Angels was uh, fine. And of course, it's Charlie's Angels. What did you expect? But I think, I think I heard K-Stew is great in it. I did hear that. But Elizabeth Banks has the chops. Let her do more fun things. Like, she's 
she's not my favorite actor, but I've never been like, oh, Elizabeth Banks is doing this. I'm not interested. No, she's she's always good at what she does. Like, whatever she's doing, she's good at it. Mm-hmm. So, um, I'm excited. I loved Magic School Bus as a kid. Yeah? So. That was the best thing about having a, like, two-year-old nephew, is I got to sit around and watch Magic School Bus all day long when I was babysitting him. <laughs> Here's another just quick blurb. The Boys is coming back to Amazon September 4th. Cool. That first season blew up super huge. I knew a lot of people that normally don't go in on, like, superhero genre stuff were super into that show. Um, I had a lot of people ask me, oh, do you read The Boys? Or, oh, have you heard of The Boys? And you're like, yeah, I've heard of The Boys. I read comic books. Of course I know what The Boys is. Like, I haven't read it. I'm not a big Ennis fan. But I haven't read it, and I am kind of an Ennis fan, <laughs> but the show is pretty superb. Um, I've heard great things. Yeah. Um, it's a very good look at what if the Justice League Sucked. was run by an evil corporation, and they're all self-indulgent celebrities with their own problems, and uh, over half of them are actively like monsters. <laughs> Um, interesting. <laughs> yeah, man. They revealed what Marvel's first Warhammer 40k comic's gonna be. I know Kieran Gillen's, because I sent you this. Yes. Kieran Gillen is writing it, which is awesome, because Kieran Gillen is a superb writer. The art is gonna be by Jason Burroughs, who has worked on Moon Knight. Okay. I think I know of him, but I don't really know him. I saw some illustrations in the ad it was good and it is warhammer 40k marnius calgar who is the uh chapter master of the ultramarines that was the first space marine to become a primaris space marine okay i'm saying okay a lot today i did a lot of news i'm like oh great uh I don't think we need to go super deep into 40k lore right now to explain no, all of that. we don't have time but... for that, but basically, he's going to become a super, super soldier instead of a super soldier. Yeah. <laughs> um, In a grim, dark universe. Oh, it's... The grim, dark universe. I have some friends that take 40k just insanely seriously. Not a bad thing. It's They fucking love it. They're great people. But... It drives them nuts every time I laugh when they're telling me about, like, Warhammer 40k lore. And I love 40k lore. It is why I enjoy 40k. It is but it's so, so ridiculous. It's like, it's... It's like, so ridiculous. Because <laughs> everything is turned up to 11. They're like, what? Why are you... Just, and people just get used to it, so they don't think about it. They're like, why are you laughing at this? And I'm like, are you... Listen to the words coming out of your mouth. Like... We started with super soldier biker Mongols. It was never going to be not fucking ridiculous doing this. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, my only complaint is that it's Ultra Smurfs. Yep. But I have complete uh, confidence in the in the creative team. Otherwise, so Kieran Gillen wrote Wicked and Divine, which I haven't finished, but its opening issues were as good as any comic I've ever read. Which means, like, Saga, Transmetropolitan level... Good. God, I need to stop using Transmetropolitan as my example there. Fuck. Um, And Young Avengers is the best teen comic I've ever read. And, like, teen superheroes is my jam. 
Mm-hmm. I am a Titans fan. I mean, plus Gillen did the Amazing Vader stuff. The Amazing Vader stuff, which is actually probably what got him this job, let's be honest. His X-Men run, I didn't super care for, but I know people who stand for it. And he did Young Loki. Hmm. Which is just so charming. That's what they should have done the fucking uh, TV show of. But then they couldn't use Tom Hiddleston, so the money pit would have dried up. All right, so I have two more news items. I'm going to do the shitty one first and end on the fun one. Good. The shitty one, this one's weird. After last week, I didn't want to spend too much time on this. (laughs) (laughs) However, at the same time, after last week, I felt disingenuous not bringing up... Like the fact that this, uh, within, across a lot of the nerd realm, there's a lot of shitty guys being called out right now. Yep. Last week we used it as my therapy session, so let's get it out there. <laughs> uh, so, I don't think these guys, any of them necessarily have uh, as much emotional resonance as the Mm -hmm. Warren Ellis shit from last week. (laughs) So we probably don't have to spend too much time on it, especially because I don't really want this podcast to just become the call out shitty guys podcast. Let's be sad about people we like, (laughs) but it's kind of something that's happening right now. And these are all guys. And I mean, connected to shit that we all like in a big way. So, Mm -hmm. uh, Chris Avalon, who has written on Planescape Torment, Baldur's Gate Dark Alliance, Fallout New Vegas, and I believe Dying Light 2, which is still coming out currently, uh, has been accused of a lot of the same type of preying on women that Warren Ellis was. Most of these that I've read have been these people were put in a really toxic culture where this is the norm, and they treated it like the norm. Or they got into a culture that was like, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, Noah Bradley, who was an artist on over a hundred different uh, Magic the Gathering cards, has been called out for sexual assault allegations and just in general being a creep. Uh, for what it's worth, in his apology, he admits to being a shitty, creepy sexual predator who preyed on younger women and pressured them into sex. Damn. He was open about it. We'll see if being open's a good or bad thing, depending on whether he actually changes his behavior. Yeah, that's going to determine whether it's him, like, being actually contrite or bragging. Yeah. Uh, But I felt that that was worth mentioning, at least, considering so many other times we see apology statements that are Mm -hmm. a lot more along the lines like, I'm so sorry you interpreted what I said this way. Making a face. You can't see it, but I'm making a face. Dark Horse cut ties with editor Scott Alley after more sexual abuse claims have come forward. He has faced some in the past, uh, back in, I think, 2015 after San Diego Mm -hmm. Comic-Con. And new new allegations have come forward. And so uh, not just Dark Horse, but like some of Dark Horse's big names, including Mike Mignola, have been like, yeah, I'm not going to work with this guy ever again. When Mike Mignola makes a decision, Dark Horse is done with you. Like, he's why Dark Horse still exists. And then the last one, one of Ubisoft's creative directors, Afshraf Ismail, uh, has been called out for basically using his position high up in the game industry to help him initiate affairs 
with other women as he's married. Oh, that's weird. That, oh, that's shitty. Not the same lines of shitty as we normally seen, but still not cool. Uh, oh, did you read about the Cards Against Humanity guy that left his job? Oh, I read a little bit about that. Uh, it is bonkers. If you can find the article, it's something like, um, I don't have the exact name, but it's like, How to Tell You're Still Sane, My Experience at Cards Against Humanity, mm-hmm. or something along those lines. And a guy complained about racist culture there, and they fucking got him institutionalized for five days. Yeah. Hold, that is some one flew over the cuckoo's nest bullshit right there. Yeah. Like I said, I don't really want this podcast to turn completely into like calling out people all the time, but making sure that people know about this, but not I think this is, did doesn't exist at yeah. the same time. Like, and making sure that these guys are held accountable in some way, or that people at least know their names, will help to change the culture. Mm-hmm. And that's the biggest thing. I well. I mean, not trying to downplay people that have been assaulted by any or all of these shitty people, Mm -hmm. but it keeps going on because the culture within the industry lets it happen. It encourages it, I would almost Mm -hmm. say. Like, just because there are no consequences, then no, you bad person, here's how you do it. Like, that doesn't... Uh, So that's what really needs to be changed. I think nobody thinks that this is going to make it never happen again. We just need to make it so that when it happens, it gets taken care of right away and that people aren't afraid to come forward. It's like seatbelts. Mm-hmm. You know, people are still going to crash a car, even though we require seatbelts and driver's licenses. But man, the number of crashed cars has gone way down. Uh, so we'll end with a fun thing. Yay! Margaret Robbie is going to be the lead in a new Pirates of the Caribbean. I say a new because we've brought up the potential for a new Pirates of the Caribbean coming up before, and this is a completely separate project than that, and that might also still happen with Karen Gillan in the lead. Huh. They're still staying with no more Johnny Depp, I see. Yeah. It's okay. I had stopped caring about Johnny Depp in the Pirates. Like, Captain Jack was fun, but he wasn't... Robbie, though, leading a ship? If they let her just have as much fun as she's been having in Harley Quinn. I just dig Pirates enough that Awesome Pirate Queen is a movie that I will watch with either one of those actors. Yeah. I... Cinematic Harley Quinn is Awesome Pirate Queen. I'm in. They got my money if this is the case. Like, I don't even care what it's about. Just that. Just have her be your Harley Quinn character in, like, DC Elseworlds presents Harley Quinn and the Pirates of the Caribbean. (laughs) That's all I really want. Um, Fuck, get Amanda Connor to do that comic book. I don't care. <laughs> That's what I got. That's the last fun thing. I think it's super weird that it's separate than the one that we talked about before with that also might be happening. But all right. Looks like Disney's going all in on pirates again. So Disney has recognized that it has brands that people give a shit about. And they're like, well, let's do this. <laughs> <laughs> If they can change it up and make it interesting by casting those two, though, yeah, that's fine. Whatever. Keep giving me pirates. I like pirate movies. Yeah. All right. Let's take a quick break, and then we'll... Mortal Kombat! So fighting games are always insane. Like, just by the nature of, let's do a storytelling in a game where it's just people punching each other. 
But what I love about Mortal Kombat is it takes it to such an extreme. As I point out to you, one guy fighting is the Elder God Shinnok, the Dragon God. And then uh, on God the, of Darkness. God of Darkness. Onaga's the Dragon God. Dragon King. King, whatever. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> my point is made. And then on the other side is mocap. His story is that he does mocap. <laughs> yep. Yep. Or uh, Striker. With the power of gun. Oh, he chooses gun. <laughs> oh, Stryker chooses gun so hard. Uh, yeah, no, today we're going to talk about Mortal Kombat. Specifically, today is the day where I set up, and I've, for a long time, kind of across both shows, been like, I fucking love Mortal Kombat. I love Mortal Kombat. <laughs> so give me a chance to talk about Mortal Kombat. And I ended up writing down 14 pages of notes. Tyler's going to basically tell us a history lesson. But before we get into that... Before we get there, we'll set this up a little bit. I got yeah. two specific questions that you got to answer. One, what was your first relationship with Mortal Kombat? Uh, so first would have been Mortal Kombat 1. Uh, my buddy... Angus, who I've brought up on the show before. Many times. Uh, his One of his brothers owned it for Genesis, so I played it. Um, what? That I, show our age right there, the Sega Genesis. I remember... I don't remember 2 coming out. Like I, I wasn't a big enough fan of 1 that I was super plugged into 2 coming out. Mm -hmm. But then 2 came out, and that's what hooked me for... Like, that's what hooked me for good. 2 was... Expanded the cast, did awesome shit. Uh, that's where you finally get, like... More than one fatality per character. You get the babalities, uh, friendships. Oh my god, I forgot about the babalities. Oh boy, that's about as 1990s as your concepts can go. Um, you have Reptile showing up as not just a hidden character. Like, it, it blew it wide open. All these things that were promised from the first one sort of were expanded on. And just, I, I loved it. I think... I think Angus also had Mortal Kombat 2. I think he had the Sega port, and then my buddy uh, Huda had the Super Nintendo port, but I'm not positive. Angus might not have had two. He might have only had one. I know that I played the Super Nintendo uh, port over at Huda's, though. So, If I remember the legend right, Mortal Kombat 1 was not turning out to be a super great game, so they're like, let's just add a shit ton of violence to it. And it got them enough rep to get them a second game where they could kind of, like, fix some of their things. Uh, yeah, I mean, the the history of one in the first place is fucking great because it was supposed to be, like, a universal soldier game, or it was a fighting game that got completely nixed, that then, a couple of years later, like, Midway ended up with some Jean-Claude Van Damme property licensing. <laughs> so they were going to do a Universal Soldier game. But then uh, Ed Boon and John Tobias were more like, well, let's use, let's tone it more towards, like, Bloodsport instead. But then they lost the license. So... <laughs> they're like, well, gotta do something. So... <laughs> Then they took the character that was, like, the main character that was supposed to be, like, the blood sporty type guy and turned him from being kind of a grim, normal street fighter into being, like, a joke parody of Jean-Claude Van Damme since they couldn't actually use him anymore, and that's oh, so Johnny Cage. Johnny Cage? 
holy shit, that, that is so much better than the story I was taught. Um, and that's for, like, the first game, because the first game, it started with just, like, four people making mm-hmm. it, and Boone and Tobias being the most famous and of those two, but... You know, of all things, I think the second movie was the first time I, like, had any connection. I mean, I, I had known what Mortal Kombat was, but I watched, I think, Mortal Kombat Annihilation first, and luckily I was young, I was, like, yeah, under luckily. under 10. So all I remembered was robot arms and robot fights. Right. Oh, man, Annihilation is not great at all. And then... Um, <laughs> and, yes. I, like, I, I was aware it was not a very good movie, but there were robot ninjas and robot arms. Yeah. Due to liking the games, I did go see both movies in theaters. Mm-hmm. And then what super hooked me into Mortal Kombat lore was the 1996 animated series Mortal Kombat Defenders of the Realm. I fucking knew you were going to say that. Uh, ran, Did they have a live-action series, too? There was a live-action series called Mortal Kombat Conquest that was done in 1998 to 1999. I only watched about half of that because it was based more around Kung Lao, who has never been one of my favorite characters, and introduced a lot of its own, like, uh, its own elements. Yeah. Uh, Defenders of the Realm is a lot... It's still not like Mortal Kombat lore, and it's not canon, but it's a lot closer. Mm-hmm. And it provided the basis, because it was it was so close to what was coming out in the games at the time, and was close to what had been portrayed in the movie, that I was able to like latch onto it and be like, oh, so this is what this character's story is, even though it wasn't canon. Oh, this is what this character's story is. And from there, I have always paid attention... I have played, oh, I tried to look it up, almost every Mortal Kombat game. I didn't play Special Forces. No one played Special Forces. I didn't play Unchained. I think that was a Game Boy Advance one. I looked up some of these. Uh, Unchained was the Game Boy Advance port of Deadly Alliance. Oh, the Game Boy Advance was not built to do that. Um... I only played about 15 minutes of 4. I only ever played arcade mode on Armageddon and not the story mode. That's okay. It was bad. Trust me, I played this. It was bad. And I didn't ever actually play the 2011 Mortal Kombat, which is uh, basically MK9. I did hear that one was good. Otherwise, I've played every single Mortal Kombat game. And like I said, I actually fucking stupid love Defenders of the Realm. I do want to really quick point out this ridiculous voice cast that they had. Uh, Clancy Brown was Raiden. I mean, wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> he should be like, I didn't. I know he didn't exist yet, but like Sue Howe or someone like that. Uh, Brian Tochi, who you might not recognize the name, but he was the voice of Leonardo in the first three Ninja Turtles movies. Okay, I know the voice. I know that voice in my bones. He was Liu Kang. Uh, Cree Summer, who who was Foxy Love in Tron Together. And like uh, like Beast Girl in Teen Titans Go. But more importantly, she was Penny in Inspector Gadget. She was in a bunch of stuff. And she's Hagar in uh, Legendary Defender. uh, Voltron Legendary Defender. She was Katana... Yeah, Katana. Luke Perry was Sub-Zero. <laughs> I'm doing visual responses here. 
Sorry. Uh, Dorian <laughs> Harewood was Jax. Dorian Harewood is the voice for the male barbarian in Diablo 3. Okay, yeah. I've heard him go, <clears throat> a lot. Olivia Diabo was Sonia. Uh, she's probably best known as being Kevin Arnold's older sister in The Wonder Years. <laughs> okay. And this is my favorite. Striker. The one who chooses gun. Ron Perlman. Why did you not lead with that? I'd be watching Defenders of the Realm right now if I had known that. <laughs> <laughs> We're done with this episode. I have to go find Ron Perlman. Uh, however, for years and years and years, I found that I was the only one that I really knew of that cared about the story of Mortal Kombat. Well, that's not why you play, so yeah. Yeah, nobody plays to play the story. They play to see fucking fatalities and shit, right? Until recently. So this kind of leads into my next question of the two questions before we dive in. What is it that you like about Mortal Kombat? Because before we started, I mentioned this. Mortal Kombat is not my favorite fighting game, but when I think of fighting games, it's the first one that pops up in my head. Yeah, what do I like? Uh, so the ultraviolence is big for me. I love ultraviolence. <laughs> Uh, I mentioned, I mentioned on the quarantine off, mm -hmm. Tarantino off, quarantine Tarantino. Off. Yeah, violence, real violence is very reactionary. Mm -hmm. You hit something with a certain amount of force and it reacts appropriately. Ultra violence, you hit something with a certain amount of force and you don't know what's going to happen. You get to direct the outcome. Often this leads to the absurd. Oh yeah, which. I love ultra-violent ultra slapstick comedy. It's why I'm such a huge fan of, like, Dead Alive. That sort of thing. <laughs> Mortal Kombat has that in spades. Like, that was the difference between Street Fighter and Mortal Kombat back in the day. Street Fighter was, even though all the characters were cartoony and drawn, mm -hmm. like, it was serious action. They were fighting each other. And yes, there were special moves, but like... It was mostly that they were fighting. Like, it was mostly that they were fighting. Then you went over to Mortal Kombat, and this dude is doing uh, the splits and punching another guy in the nuts before, at the end of the round, punching his head off across the screen. <laughs> what I've always found so odd is how close DC Comics has become with Nether Realms, Like, doing... Mm. I mean, doing the Injustice games, which is weird enough for me, but doing Mortal Kombat versus DC. I remember the first time I heard that, I was like, you're doing fucking what? They have some of the characters still reference that crossover in their character dialogues before matches. It's... And they're like, no, don't worry, it's not canon. And Mortal Kombat's like, eh, it might be. It's not as weird as some of the other fucking things we've done. We'll get to that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. That be I honestly, like... Out of fighting games, though, Mortal Kombat isn't my favorite to actually play. Soul Calibur probably is. Yeah, Soul Cal I, I mentioned that, too. Soul Calibur is a... When it comes to controls, it is a better game. Or possibly even For Honor. I get more satisfaction killing somebody in For Honor than I have in almost any other fighting game I've ever played, which is the reason why I keep going back to that goddamn game. As someone who's been doing foam fighting in the park for 15 years, I understand what you're saying. <laughs> 17 um, years. I'm old. Yeah. But Mortal Kombat keeps me coming back for the story at this point, especially for <laughs> the characters. Here's the thing. In the past, nobody used to play Mortal Kombat for the story. 
the last three games have changed that. I actually see, like, articles and shit come up being like, y'all haven't been paying attention to Mortal Kombat story? You should be, because now it's really good. And it's one of the best parts of the series. Well, and it's always been... I mean, fighting game stories are always insane. You know, you don't go to Soul Calibur and look for, like, logic and reason. I don't even know if Street Fighter has one. They just are fighting. There is. I've... I've... I'm not as deep in Street Fighter lore. I know. I'm a just saying. Bit I watched it. the entire Street Fighter movie, and I could not tell you what happened in it. Um, so yeah. So here's <laughs> like the last three games alone have had seven and a half hours of cutscenes. Jesus Christ! Like even what I have in front of me is bare bones as far as like as detailed as you could get into the story. Mm-hmm. That being said. I don't want to put all my work to waste. <laughs> we should probably use it at some point. So I came in knowing that I was going to be the quote unquote expert today. I asked you to come up with, you came up with two questions already. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you have more or not off the top of your head. I'm sure I'll find stuff as we go. But in my, in my years of being a Mortal Kombat fan and asking people what they know and talking about different characters and stuff, I find that a lot of people seem to have, even across like, the younger kids up to like our age and even like some of the older kids that were like, you know, late teens when this, Mm -hmm. when it first dropped and we're getting into it because it was also ultra violent and, you know, they're teenagers. Yeah. Rather than, you know, I was getting into it because I was a grade schooler and I wasn't supposed to be getting into it. That's why I started playing Grand Theft Auto. Both of those reasons, actually. They all seem to have weirdly the same knowledge base, some very vague ideas of what happened in one through three and then usually they'll have also one other random game that they know either like deadly alliance or deception or armageddon they'll be like oh and i remember this happened like didn't these sort of things sort of happen and then sort of skip in time and like didn't this also happen see that's not terribly inaccurate for me because i the era that I played was the PS2 era. So Deadly Alliance, Deception, Annihilation. Not Annihilation, Armageddon. Mm-hmm. So I know what happened basically in the first one because of the movie. Which I know isn't super accurate, but it's also close to fuck enough that I get the idea of how it works. And then I have almost nothing until we get to the De- Deadly Alliance era. Mm. So I keep being like, why does anyone care about Liu Kang? Because he wasn't in... The era of games that I played. Right. Oh, yeah. Or he was a zombie in Deception and... But he wasn't, like, a major part of it. Um, So based upon that being my overall life experience, what I thought I would do here today is give everyone the bare-bones story, the through (laughs) storyline of Mortal Kombat. Spoilers beware. Spoilers beware. But this also gets you set up to know exactly what's going on now in Mortal Kombat. If this is where you're now jumping into the series, which, to be completely honest, this might be the best time in history other than the beginning of the series to jump into the series. They have the strongest cast, they have the strongest story, they have the strongest gameplay and graphics that they have ever had at this point. Mm -hmm. I can give you everything you missed. Feel free to jump in and ask me (laughs) questions as I do this. But I wanted to lay this out. I want to see if it's possible for me to lay this out. You've built it up, man. Show your stuff. Um, now, I'm not going to give everything in in universe chronological order. I'm going to give it by as we learned it through the games, okay. starting with Mortal Kombat 1 and going on through. It's sort of how I set up my notes. Our first scripted podcast. Mortal Kombat 1, 
pretty easy. Uh, the Mortal Kombat tournament was set up by the Elder Gods uh, because there's these forces within the universe called the Furies. If they're out of balance, then the realms merge. The realms merging is not a good thing for various reasons, which we'll get into even further later. So the Mortal Kombat tournament was set up because they kind of never thought that anybody would ever actually win Mortal Kombat 10 times in a row. And if when you win Mortal Kombat 10 times in a row, then you can merge the realms. Real quick, we should explain realms, because as I understand it, it's kind of There's like six, Dimension Next Door, yeah. multiverse, the nine worlds of Asgard. There's six main realms and possibly countless other smaller realms. Although most of them don't matter. The main realms are Earth Realm, which is basically mm -hmm. Earth. There's the Nether Realm, which is basically Hell. Uh, there's Outworld, which is kind of Earth but shitty. There's Edenia, which is kind of Earth but good. Uh, the, <laughs> <laughs> there's uh, Chaos Realm and Order Realm, which are what they sound like. Yeah. Uh, there are technically other realms. Most of them over time have been bonded onto Outworld in some way, but they're all like more like little satellites. Like if the realms are planets, then the smaller realms are like moons. Is okay. basically the way to think of it. Like the heavens is a realm, and it's one of the only two realms that in area is limitless, but it's not one of the major realms. It's weird. It's very strange. Uh, and basically, win 10 Mortal Kombat tournaments in a row, and you can merge your realm. And, oh god, what was the other thing? The winner is immortal until the next one, or something like that. Kinda, yeah. <laughs> they're, at they're the champion, at least. Uh-huh. Um, and it's like every 50 years or something like that? Uh, yeah, it's a generational thing, so it's once every 50 years. Um, which they abandoned almost immediately. <laughs> so, the first game is... Outworld has won nine in a row because the sorcerer Shang Tsung set, uh, showed up with his fucking ace in the hole, Prince Goro, the Shokan warrior. Big four-armed guy, tears people apart. Yep. Shokan are a race like of half-dragon, half-outworlders. Uh, that sentence so much. <laughs> <laughs> uh, basically, they have to win. So lose there because he's the chosen one and he's there to restore balance. He's the totes not Bruce Lee stereotype. Mm -hmm. uh, Johnny Cage is there basically just to increase his own celebrity status, and he's Jean-Claude Van Damme. Yeah, I was going to say, because they already had Jean-Claude Van Damme designed. Uh, you have the criminal Kano, who's a member of the Black Dragon organization and is an arms runner, and he basically goes there to loot Shang Tsung's palace and gets roped into the tournament when he gets discovered. Has a laser eye. Has a laser eye. Uh, Sonya Blade is following Kano because he killed her partner. Long and time. other things. Like, she's just... She's lawful good, and he's a fucking criminal. Mm -hmm. She <laughs> did not have much personality in the earlier game. She's gotten a lot better as time she's has gone on. so much better, but she early on was just a... Blank ass character. She was a blonde cop lady. Sub-Zero is technically there to kill Shang Tsung, although that's not revealed until his arcade ending. Scorpion is there to kill Sub-Zero because he blames him for the murder of his family and his clan. 
Sub-Zero is of the Lin Kuei Ninja. Yes, and Scorpion in the first game is a specter, but he's a former assassin for the Shirai Ryu, who is the rival ninja clan. Every time I have tried to read about the history of Mortal Kombat, I get distracted and read about the Lin Kuei and nothing else. Uh, it does not help that in Belagarth, one of the things we do a lot is called the murder mask, and it's just a leather, basically like Sub-Zero shaped or like Scorpion shaped mask. So I make those a lot. So I'm like, oh, look, oh, it's like Scorpion. Like every time I've made like 10 of these every time. Oh, like Scorpion. And every time I've seen you post one, I'm like, ooh, it's like Scorpion. <laughs> <laughs> or, ooh, it's like Sub-Zero. Ooh, it's like smoke. I think I found the pattern to make Sector out oh. of uh, leather, which nice. is, I have to, like, I have to do that. Right. <laughs> uh, and Raiden, the god of thunder and protector of Earthrealm, uh, also joins the tournament uh, in mortal form because he was invited directly by Shang Tsung. I will always think of him as Christopher Lambert, the Highlander. <laughs> I'm sorry, Raiden's great, I love him, he's like my favorite character, but he will always be the Highlander. Uh, as far as the first game goes, storyline is, Liu Kang wins. That's really the biggest takeaway from this. Story didn't matter much in the first one. And there were a few hidden characters. Uh, Reptile is the first hidden character ever in a fighting video game, and the first Mortal Kombat was also the first fighting game to have special moves that did not require quarter or half turns to input. This is one of the first times, not one of the first times, they did this a lot, I guess, just character like copying to make like 12 new characters, because they're like, uh, the, this is a blue ninja. Uh, yeah. This is a purple ninja. Uh, it was literally a way to save memory space so that they could have more characters on the game cartridge. Makes uh, sense. So Scorpion was palette swapped to become Sub-Zero and Reptile. Um, Are they the only three in that first one? In the first one, yes. Oh, okay. Uh, something to mention about Goro is that when he first became champion of Mortal Kombat, he killed the great Kung Lao. That was Earthrealm's protector at the time. Um, Liu Kang is the chosen one because he is a descendant of Kung Lao. But not the only one because Kung not Lao the only is one. also a... Because now we're about to go into Mortal Kombat 2, which they introduce Kung Lao, who is a direct descendant of the Grand Kung, Great Kung Lao. It is thought that him and Liu are cousins, but it's never expanded. They eventually get a game together. Yep, Shaolin Monks, which is non-canon. Oh, I didn't know that. It okay. is a non-canon retelling of the events... I think leading into Mortal Kombat 2 and during part of the tourney itself. <laughs> this is so intense. Okay. So now 2 is where the story starts to pick up. It should be... Okay, I have to make a note. Some of the games had more than one version come out. Yeah. Mortal Kombat 3 then was updated with Ultimate Mortal Kombat 3, which was then updated with Mortal Kombat Trilogy. As far as canon is concerned... The latest one, if there was any changes made from the previous one, is what counts. Okay. So the text in Trilogy indicates that what happens in Mortal Kombat 2 is a diversion. Although when it first came out, it wasn't shown that way. Going to point that out before we go into what actually happens in 2. In 2, uh, Shang Tsung has lost the tournament in 1. Liu Kang won. So he has to go back to uh, his boss, Shao Kahn. 
This is the first time we hear about Shao Kahn, the uh, ruler of Outworld, who has been the ruler there for at least a thousand years, if not longer. He goes to beg for forgiveness and is like, here's the thing, we might have lost, but because we lost, we can now issue the Mortal Kombat challenge. So we can just do it again. So, and you can't turn down a Mortal Kombat challenge. So let's challenge them right now and host it in Outworld where we have home field advantage. Huh, okay. I had never been quite certain why there was a second one. Yeah, it was, it's because now there's a new champion, so now they can be challenged. Okay. Uh, like I said, this turns out to all be a diversion, so Shao Kahn's like, you know what? Yeah, let's do that. And despite it being named Mortal Kombat, no one, well, no, one person died in the entire history of this Mortal Kombat. Uh, <laughs> let's see. In the first game, Prince Goro is seemingly killed, though it turns out he wasn't. And Scorpion did kill Sub-Zero. Yeah, that one I knew. Like, one person dies. That's the thing. In a lot of the Mortal Kombat lore, most of the fights aren't to the death. Which is Despite I mean, it being called Mortal Kombat, most of the fights are not to the death. I get it. It makes a whole lot of sense, and it lets people build up, like, connection to characters. But part of me would kind of love it if they just had to bring in, like, eight new characters and, like, not use other ones ever again. Because did you see what you did to that guy? He did. <laughs> <laughs> uh, true. And honestly, they... The nice thing is it's kind of like comics, where even when they do die... It, doesn't mean they're dead. Oh, yeah. Scorpion has been sent back to hell about 15 times. Well, he starts as a specter. <laughs> it's actually explained within, it's within continuity. The reason that Shang Tsung wasn't killed at the first Mortal Kombat is that Liu Kang was still trying to uh, be a good Shaolin monk at the time. And his was actually the only fatality in the first game that did not explicitly kill the opponent. Okay. And in fact, the screen didn't even dim. Damn. So Shang Tsung lives. Da da da. Shao Kahn is like, cool. We'll go with your plan. Uh, so I'm also going to restore your youth because in the first game you're like a 50 year old guy. You're going to be like 19 years old. Wasn't Shao Kahn played by the he puts the lotion on his skin actor in in Annihilation? Yeah, I believe so. Uh, uh, Buffalo Bill. Yeah, I can't think of the dude's real name right now. But he plays a Klingon like six times. I'm pretty sure you're right on that. <laughs> That's what I think of every time I, if the Hannibal comes up. Uh, to follow all of our characters from the first one, uh, Jax is in it to save Sonya, who was taken, taken hostage while all this happened. Jax is her partner who gets introduced in this. Uh, Sonya's obviously hostage. Katana gets introduced, who becomes a main character through the rest of this. Katana is the adopted daughter of Shao Kahn. At this time, that's all she knows she is. Uh, you also introduce Melina, who is, uh, at this point, assumed to be the twin sister of Katana, who is actually a half-Tarkatan clone that was made by Shao Kahn to... Uh, Stuff? <laughs> I think it was eventually revealed that the idea was to replace Katana. And these were the two bathing suit ninja girls that yes. became the style for a long time. Uh, in fact, Melina is really funny as a character because out of all the characters, especially in early Mortal Kombat who are overly sexualized, she's the one they turn to the most, including having a Playboy spread at one point. 
Isn't she the one with the crazy fucking teeth, too? That's the thing. <laughs> they very knowingly were like, we're going to like continue showing this one that has a sexy body and a dark cotton face. <laughs> I actually did make a murder mask based off her for a friend. Nice. It was fun. It was a pain in the butt. Uh, like I said, Kung Lao shows up in this one, who is a descendant of Kung Lao. Uh, he is Lu's BFF from when they came up in the, the Wuxi Sky Academy. He's Liu Kang, but with a hat. Yeah. You get the introduction of uh, Baraka, who's the guy with the arm blades. Um, early on, he's basically a nobody except for a warlord enforcer in Shao, La- Shao Kahn's forces. Uh, Sub-Zero is back, even though he got killed in the first one. Sub-Zero in the second game on is Kwai Liang, who is the younger brother of the Sub-Zero from the first game. And is not a raging asshole like old Sub-Zero. Right. Storyline-wise... Still kind of a dick, but... Right. Um, He's in it to sort of take up the mantle of the new Mm Sub-Zero. Scorpion is in the new Mortal Kombat, like joins the Mortal Kombat tournament because he heard Sub-Zero's back and he's like... I thought I killed that guy. <laughs> Over the course of the tournament, he sees Sub-Zero spare, show mercy on somebody and realizes that it's not the same person and vows instead to protect Kwai Leong. Uh, Reptile shows up uh, as Sh- um, Shang Tsung's bodyguard. Uh, you have Smoke show up for the first time, who's one of Sub-Zero's buddies from the Kwai Leong. Is he a robot yet at this point? No. Okay. Spoilers. And uh, Goro got killed, but now you have a different Shokan, Kentaro, in place. The kind of tiger-looking one. The kind of tiger one. The Shokans have two different classes in their society. There's the Draco class, which is Goro and Shiva. And then there's the Chigrars, who are a lower class. And so far, Kentaro is the only one shown. Okay. In three, like I said, it's revealed that number two was just a distraction. Especially after it didn't work. Yeah. Lou wins, because Lou is the chosen one. Spoilers, Lou wins the first four tournaments. <laughs> That's why he's important. <laughs> His personality is that he keeps winning. You find out in Trilogy that Shao Kahn only went with Shang Tsung's plan as a diversion because his real plan that he's been setting up in place with the use of his shadow priests is to resurrect his former queen Sindel in the Earth Realm, which is basically a loophole so that he has the authority to reach through to Earth Realm to claim her. Which he'll then use to invade Earth Realm, right? Basically. So... He resurrects her in Earthrealm, and the realms start merging. Raiden has enough power to save the souls of the Earthrealm warriors from getting immediately ripped out of their bodies from the realm from That'd the realms merging. That would that would make it difficult. Uh, but can't really do anything else. Good guy, Raiden. So the third one is a little bit less of your standard tournament. It, they're still like they're fighting each other and trying to work their way up to taking on Shao Kahn because he's obviously the big bad guy. But it's a little bit more of an invasion and they're just trying to repel his forces. Mm -hmm. That sort of thing's going on. So in the course of it, uh, Kung Lao apparently gets killed by Shao Kahn. Um, Oh, no, no, no. In the second tournament, 
Shao Kahn apparently killed Kung Lao. No, turns out he didn't die, but he just sort of went undercover for a bit. So Liu Kang's out to try to get revenge for Kung Lao, and at the same time, he's starting to fall for Katana. They're like the power couple uh, uh, of early Mortal Kombat lore. And so he's trying to free Adenia, which is one of the realms that Outworld has already merged with. They won the ten Mortal Kombats, yada, 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 mm-hmm. yada, yada. This is where the Cyber Lin Kuei initiative starts. Um, the Lin Kuei decide to upgrade to these cyber forms. Uh, Sector is all for it. Robot ninjas. And apparently didn't even have to be reprogrammed. Like, he was just super into it. I'm in. Let's do this. I know people who want robot bodies, so I get it. Even I want I a robot <laughs> body, but he wanted it because he's an evil asshole. Yeah. He wanted it for murder. Uh, Cy- so, Sector and Cyrax are the original two. Smoke and Sub-Zero don't want it. And so, they actually basically defect from the Lin Kuei and are on the run during the course of the third one. Uh... Smoke gets caught by Cyrax and Sector and gets turned into a Cyber Lin Kuei. Those three are basically all after Sub-Zero throughout the course of this. In uh, the last one, Jax did end up freeing Sonya, but at the same time had to free Kano. Why does Jax have robot arms? Jax... <laughs> Jax got his ro- uh, arms ripped off in the course of the events of number two and had them replaced cybernetically for number three. Okay. I just, the first time I ever met Jax was in Annihilation and you just walk up and he's like, hey, what up? I got robot arms now. Like that was his whole thing. Jax freed, Jax freed Sonya, accidentally had to free Kano as well due to the circumstances of it. Kano goes to Outworld because of course fucking Kano does. Uh, They go try to warn the government about the merger and how fucked up that all is. And the government doesn't listen to those two, so they're like, fuck it, we're just going to go join the rebellion and, like, help save the world if the government's not going to back us. Just imagine being the government peon that has two messed up looking cops, one of which has robot arms, be like, okay, look, the realities are merging, and you have to give me money to stop that. Uh, Over on the outworld side... Goro's now assumed dead. Kentaro is dead. There is a war for power between the Shokans and Centaurians. Centaurs live in Outworld. Go figure. They all, they both want to suck up to Shao Kahn. And now that the Shokans have failed twice, Shao Kahn is like, cool, I'm going to have Motaro be my second in command. So now Motaro steps up, but there's still a weird power struggle because Shao Kahn's queen's Sindel, her bodyguard is still a Shokan named Shiva. Shiva starts working, is like, I kind of think Shao Kahn might have it out for my people, and starts like working behind the scenes to like possibly overthrow him if she ever needs to. <laughs> this is where you first get Cabal showing up, who's a good guy in his first few appearances, despite his appearance. He's the like respirator guy. Yes, I've seen him. Uh, he blames the Black Dragon and therefore Kano for him getting burned. And so he, I think he was assumed by a lot of people to be a bad guy because of his appearance. But he's actually a good guy in his first few appearances. Oh, okay. Um, Stryker shows up. Stryker is notable because he is the only survivor in New York City from the merger of the realms. And that's why he's like, 
well, I'm the only one left. Time to choose gun. And and that was his thing. And I think because I think it had been a running joke before of like, why doesn't someone bring a gun to any of these? And Danny Boone was like, yes, why don't they bring a gun to these? Uh, <laughs> and then Nightwolf shows up. He's a Native American shaman who started getting visions that Shao Kahn was going to pull some shisty shit. So he blessed his homeland and it worked. And so when the rebellion goes off and like they're having to stand force against like the forces of Outworld, they actually managed to all fa- fall back to like the reservation basically and fight it from there. And that's kind of why Nightwolf starts off being important. He actually like gives them their good footing to actually fight against Shao Kahn. He I want to say was originally Lakota. I looked this up. Right, and then and they, they changed it to a fictional uh, tribe called the Matoka. Which they really need to stop doing with things. Um, like, I get where that idea is coming from, because like, I don't want to get it wrong, but just do your research, man. And then <laughs> Johnny Cage ends up apparently killed by Mataro during the course of all this, before Lou beats Shao Kahn again, because, like I said, He's Lou wins the first four. <laughs> <laughs> But Johnny, due to the merger of the realms happening at almost the same time, his soul ends up being blocked from entering the heavens or the nether realm. And he, wandering as a spirit, is managed to be able to be resurrected by Raiden in the next game. Johnny Cage was a fucking ghost in this game? He's not a ghost. Um, It happens over the course of the story, so... And there wasn't an actual story mode in these first ones, or else they probably would have made him a ghost for the story. So he enters the tournament living, but as far as the story of the game goes, he dies in the course of it. How did I not know? Ghost Johnny Cage is so much better than Zombie Liu Kang. This is where I'm not going to talk about Special Forces, because almost nothing matters from Special Forces. Mm -hmm. Mythologies is actually kind of important. And I actually owned Mythologies and played through it. That was the Sub-Zero one. That's the Sub-Zero game. It's not really a fight. It was a little bit more of an action game with platforming elements and fighting game sequences. Mm-hmm. Um, it happens before the first game. It's the one of the introductions of Quan Chi, who's going to be a major player from here on out. And you find out that Quan Chi uh, tricked the original Sub-Zero, Bihan, into stealing Shinnok's amulet. He steals it, then to repay him, Quan Chi killed the Shirai Ryu, which is why... Scorpion <laughs> wants to kill Sub-Zero. Well, okay, I fucked up a little bit. In getting the amulet, Sub-Zero kills Scorpion because Quan Chi hires them both and sort of pits them against each other to get the amulet to make sure that somebody does. So Sub-Zero killed Scorpion. Quan Chi then turns Scorpion's spirit into the specter that we know it as in the first game. That's out for revenge. After he kills the Shirai Ryu to replay, repay Bihan, he tells the Scorpion spirit that Bihan did it and sets him out against him. This is the weirdest podcast we've ever done. <laughs> Scor- uh, Sub-Zero, Bihan, Sub-Zero figures out what's going on 
and steals back the amulet to give it to Raiden because Raiden sort of shows up and is like, you fucked us all by giving him that amulet. But surprise, the one that he steals and gives to Raiden right before the events of the first game is actually a fake one and Quan Chi held on to the real one. Dun, dun, dun. That goes into war- into uh, Mortal Kombat 4. In between 3 and 4, Sindel... Uh, becomes Queen of Adenia because Adenia has resplit following Shao Kahn's defeat at the end of three. Unfortunately, with all this, with the time in between, Quan Chi has had time to enact his plan and now Shinnok's back. Uh, Tanya, who is one of the worst characters ever created for the series and is completely one dimensional and her only thing that she ever does is betray people, betrays Adenia. <laughs> And oh, lit- wait, she's Betrayal and Tits. I, yeah. I remember this character. Yep. Sorry, early Mortal Kombat was not very um, forward-thinking, guys. Uh, Ta- Tanya betrays Adenia, which Shinnok invades, and they basically use it as the staging point to try to conquer everything else. Shinnok's not as much about conquer as Shao Kahn is. He's more about relashing back out at the Elder Gods because he used to be one. Uh, he's the fallen Elder God of... Uh, darkness and death that Raiden had imprisoned 10,000 years prior when Raiden was a young god. Um, kind of a goofy looking dude. Kind of a goofy looking guy. So in the end, like I said, Liu Kang wins again. Yay! This one I think is set up once again more as a Mortal Kombat, but I don't think they actually explain why. It's more just like Shinnok's like, welcome to Mortal Kombat. And was like, oh, I know this game. Let's do this. <laughs> Katana is captured, so Lou goes after her, and that's the main reason why he's in it. And at the end, he wins, but it does the weird, like, uh, comic book thing, superhero thing where Katana then proposes to him, and he can't commit because he's a hero and he's protector of Earthrealm and he's the chosen one and the Mortal Kombat champion. Lou, shut the fuck up, man. That is the most, like, Tom Welling, Clark Kent. I have to be alone. Uh, Sonya and Jax, in between the games, have founded the Outworld Investigation Agency, which is, like, this government force that keeps Outworld problems in check. But they're also still having a little bit of problem with the Black Dragon. They join in to chase the last Black Dragon, Jarek, into Edenia, and then... In the mean, while they're doing that, they end up finding a powered down Cyrax and reprogram him so he's more of a good guy rather than both him and Sector being bad guys. At this point, they were pretty much what if Stargate was a bunch of cops? Yep. Goro is back. Just because. Uh, he comes back for revenge against Liu Kang for getting beaten the first tournament. But once he comes back, he notices that the Shokan are like not on Shao Kahn. the Shokan are not on Shao Kahn's good side right now. And so he kind of starts working more for his people. Kung Lao comes out of retirement hearing about this and goes to face Goro to avenge his ancestor's death. Um but he basically just lands like a really nasty ceremonial blow on Goro's chest and like scars him for life and they like make good and call it. Okay. And then once Shinnok gets beat by Liu Kang at the end of this uh, due to 
Goro basically helping keep the Shokan alive, they actually broker a truce between the Centurions. <laughs> Four arms and a hat. I'm in. And uh, ally with Adenia. I'm in. All of this sounds fun. This is so, like, what if Jack Kirby's Fourth World was an ultra-violent video game? <laughs> uh, Raiden ends up becoming an Elder God, and he gives the role of Protector of Earthrealm to Fujin, who was actually introduced in mythologies as the God of Wind. Okay. Uh, Scorpion is re-tricked by Quan Chi into thinking that Sub-Zero killed his clan again, because at this point, Scorpion is still a specter. So he's kind of dumb. So he's kind of dumb, but he is literally, like, made by Quan Chi. So it makes sense that Quan Chi has some sort of power over him. And in the ending, and this... The next game actually goes off of Scorpion's canonical ending. Even though Liu Kang wins, it doesn't go off of Liu Kang's ending. Interesting. In the end, Scorpion beats down Sub-Zero. But as he's about to like do the finishing blow, Quan Chi like, starts feeling himself a little bit too much and gives the game away and is like, ha ha ha, you both are just pawns of the Elder Gods. I've and- seen this video. It's hilarious. Yeah. It's terrible. He's basically like, ha, 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 you're both fucking pawns of the Elder Gods, and I got you guys to do this, and I'm the one that killed the, the Shirai Ryu, and Scorpion's like, yeah, well, fuck this noise, and tackles him into the nether realm. What I love is, during this era, they were still doing live-action cutscenes, <laughs> and the weird fucking B-movie actors, like C-movie actors, that they got to, like, all right, you're going to play Quan Chi. He's a sorcerer who's pale. Any other story notes? Not really. Not really. (laughs) Uh, And this is where we get into your age. Quan Chi, while running from Scorpion in the Nether Realm, escapes using Shinnok's amulet, which he still has because he gave Raiden the fake one back in Mythologies. This is where they actually started to make sure the story made sense. Ish. 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 (laughs) Uh, While escaping from the Nether Realm, he pops into the Tomb of the Dragon King, which he figures out has an unbeatable army once it's up and moving. Yeah. So he decides to partner with Shang Tsung. Basically his plan is he provides the souls. Shang Tsung transplants them into the army. Together they have an unstoppable army. Together they have an unstoppable army. And while killing more people with their unstoppable army, Shang Tsung gets more souls. They form the Deadly Alliance. They form the Deadly Alliance. Sucker punch Liu Kang and Shao Kahn. Liu Kang gets killed. I remember seeing that. I remember like the first time we loaded it up and I was like, you can't kill Liu Kang. He wins. Yeah. That's the entire point of Mortal Kombat. Yeah, that was a huge deal. I remember booting up Mortal uh, Deadly Alliance and being like, what the fuck? You know what may have made that not happen, Liu Kang? If you hadn't been, I need to be alone. I'm the hero. Absolutely. Uh, beyond Body that, guards, though, Liu Kang. The other problem, though, was that Raiden was unable to interfere because of his status as an elder god. So once the Deadly Alliance kills Liu Kang and Shao Kahn, and the elder gods are just like, if it's not happening in Mortal Kombat, like we can't interfere. Nobody, nobody broke the rules of Mortal Kombat because Mortal Kombat wasn't going on. This is just a normal assassination. <laughs> So we're staying out of it. Raiden's like, well, fuck y'all. I'm going to give up being an Elder God, even though I just became one like, like five minutes yeah. ago. <laughs> I've had and, this job for a day, and I already hate it. And 
he he goes to basically gather everyone else that he can. Uh, Kung Lao is the one that actually finds Liu Kang's body and brings Raiden up to speed. Uh, Katana was trying to lead a premature strike on Shao Kahn, and she's the one that finds out he's dead. And so they join up uh, with the group, and Raiden gathers the rest and sends out Kung Lao, Johnny Cage, Jax, Sonya, and Katana. This is the game where you meet, I want to say, my two favorites. Right. Well, <laughs> they, they all die. That's right. They just wiped out like most of the cast in this one. Uh, the other big things from this is uh, Sonya and Jax find out about the Red Dragon, who are the rivals to the Black Dragon. That this is they, where we get Sue Hao. Yeah, and Mavado and all of those assholes. Um, and I always thought the Red Dragon were kind of lame. It's like they had them kill off the last Black Dragon and they're like, well, we still need them facing somebody. Yeah. Totally, you know, we need a crime lord still, I guess, for reasons. Goro was part of the assault against Shao Kahn, led by Katana, but during the battle, he is once again seemingly mortally wounded by Noob Saibot. He is secretly healed by Shao Kahn, but then sits out till Armageddon. We haven't brought up Noob Saibot yet, and I will in a minute. But Sub-Zero in this one kind of splits off and doing his own thing. Uh, this is where Sub-Zero takes on an apprentice, Frost, and leaves to find out more about the Cryomancers, of which he is a descendant. And Frost is probably a descendant. Mm-hmm. And is off to get the Dragon Medallion to become Grand Master of the Lin Kuei. Uh, Frost turns on him after he gets it, but is not disciplined enough to actually contain its power and just manages unfreezing herself. And so Sub-Zero just sort of buries her with the rest of the Cryomancers, but ends up trapped in Outworld. I remember enjoying... This is where Sub-Zero got a big costume upgrade, I want to say. Yeah. And everyone was like, you can't do that. And it actually is super cool. This is uh, his Shredder costume. Yeah. He becomes the Shredder, which I'm all for. And I played Frost. She was one of my mains. Oh, I can see it. Like, she's a good character to play. I don't like her, but... No, she's not that interesting, but... Uh, and then, don't we also meet Bo Rai Cho and Blind Kenshi in this one? Yes. They just don't have much to do with the actual plot. They're my fucking favorites. I, dude, Kenshi is one of the best characters they've introduced past the originals. and But he never actually has much to do with the plot until, nope. like, the reboots. Kenshi is the blind swordsman, but everyone liked him, so they kept using him. The telekinetic blind swordsman. Blind swordsman's the like, <laughs> yeah. trope, though. Uh, <laughs> Reptile finds Onaga's egg, and after everyone has been killed by the Deadly Alliance, Raiden decides to face the Deadly Alliance himself. And that's where we get Mortal Kombat Deception. Mortal Kombat Deception is Raiden gets beat. <laughs> Deadly Alliance is the first game in the series to have all the, ba- all the good guys lose. Raiden got got. Uh, however, immediately after beating Raiden, the Deadly Alliance turn on each other. Surprising nobody. In a marvelous display of coincidence, right while they're fighting each other, Onaga has come back, the Dragon King. Reptile found Onaga's egg at the end of the last one. The egg hatches, and his spirit goes into Reptile and turns into the avatar of Onaga. 
technically when you're facing the Dragon King in Deception, you're it's Reptile. reptile. <laughs> uh, Onaga was the first ruler of Outworld, or first Khan of Outworld. Shao Khan was one of his generals and uh, took over for him after, I believe, he poisoned him. I know there was treachery involved. I can't remember if it was poisoned specifically, but Onaga shows up, and uh, like I said, most of the time the fights aren't actually to the death, so they beat Raiden, but Raiden's still lying there, mostly unconscious. Shang Tsung, Shao Kahn, or Shang Tsung, Quan Chi, and Raiden all get up and are like, we gotta take on this asshole. They're getting their ass beat. Raiden's like, okay, this isn't good, and he goes fucking supernova. He self-destructs to try to take him on doesn't work all he succeeds in doing is killing Shao Kahn, or Shang Tsung and Quan Chi <laughs> whoops and himself being a god he reforms a little bit later on but he's now corrupted from doing that most of the cast is gone at this point aren't they mm-hmm so so all of those people on it so Kung Lao Johnny Cage Jax Sonya Katana Liu Kang Shang Tsung Quan Chi are all dead at this point. And so who has to face Onaga is everybody left alive, basically. Which is mostly like Sub-Zero and Scorpion. And the other 15 ninja characters. Oh, and Onaga has actually resurrected all of them as resonant, as, as revenants. And so they're all now working for him as well. Oh, so this is why they could still use these characters in this game. Mm-hmm. With one exception. So the rest of them are, like, working for him because they've been resurrected by him. Liu Kang has been killed. He hasn't been resurrected by Onaga. His spirit is bound to Katana because of their love bond. But corrupted Raiden resurrects Liu Kang's body and sets it out on a killing spree, taking out everyone that he feels has hurt Earthrealm. You can't see the grin that I'm doing here, but this is 40k level of what the fuck. Uh, Raiden especially has it bad for Shujinko. Shujinko is the main character of the story mode of Mortal Kombat Deception, which was the first game to have a dedicated story mode. I remember the Conquest playing mode. this. I never finished it, but I played it. Shujinko was tricked by the essence of the Dragon King 45 years before and had spent his life... Uh, reassembling all these artifacts known as the Kamidogu. The Kamidogu are important because the six Kamidogu contain the essence of the six realms. If you get them all together, then you can re-merge the realms. When you re-merge the realms, the realms actually turn into what's called the One Being. It's actually like a godlike entity that uh, parasitically feasts off the Elder Gods, which is why the Elder Gods split the realms in the first place. He's kind of like if Eternity from Marvel was a parasite. Yeah. Um, uh, basically, when you, when you form the One Being, you get one wish, and then pretty much everything gets destroyed anyway. Onaga's doesn't care he wants the one ever onaga wants the one wish i don't think he necessarily cares or realizes that like creating the one being will also destroy everything i think he's thinking he can use his one wish to just reform everything the way he wants it once it happens you know what i mean okay I <laughs> uh the actual deception in the title is the fact that melina is currently posing as katana but is planning on deceiving Onaga as well and taking both armies for her own. 
uh, Liu Kang's spirit, although bonded to Katana, ends up partnering with Ermac, who is a conglomeration of um, fallen spirits that was born out of Shang Tsung's soul NATO, if I remember right, which you'd see in the background of. Let's just take a moment to reflect upon the word soul NATO. (laughs) It's exactly what it sounds like. Let's move on. But it's. And together, they actually managed to rescue and resurrect all the undead heroes. So everyone I mentioned before gets saved. They back. They Avengers Endgame the shit. The restored Katana at the end of the game, while heading back to Edenia, ends up running into Blaze. That is important for Armageddon. Blaze, to this point, had been just like, there's a burning man in the background. Sub-Zero at this point is like Grandmaster Lin Kuei and is, like, cool with just trying to take on Onaga. He's just like, yeah, let's face Onaga. Let's do this. I got this. Uh, Frost pops back up to try to challenge him for Lin Kuei leadership. He beats her. Soundly. Uh, But it's also during Deception that we finally learn that Noob Saibot, the specter that's been working for Quan Chi and who mortally wounded Goro, is actually Bihan. The original Sub-Zero. The original Sub-Zero. Which was one of my favorite things. Noob Saibot is one of my favorite characters ever. (laughs) I fucking love Noob. He's a ghost ninja. I actually like Noob the best in Deception because it is in Deception that Noob has actually found the discarded cyber smoke Mm -hmm. and has enslaved him. And they work as like a duo in their fight. Yeah, like... Smoke was hanging out on his back, or Noob was hanging out on Smoke's back. I don't remember which. Yeah, and Noob kind of just wants to make his own cyber ninjas. He's like... This is a great idea. This is a super idea. I want my own cyber ninja army. You know what would have not happened if I had been a cyber ninja? Me turning into a ghost. (laughs) And then Nightwolf, once again, out of nowhere, is one of the most important characters. He gets visions of, of Onaga, becomes his tribe Sin Eater... Uh, ventures forth while everyone else is trying to face Onaga, manages to get in close enough to unleash uh, all of his tribe's sins upon Onaga, which binds him to the Nether Realm, which separates him from Reptile's body. After Shujinko manages to beat his ass to the point where he is only holding Shinnok's amulet rather than the entire Kamidoga. That's a lot. <laughs> And then we get into Mortal Kombat Armageddon. Everyone dies now, yeah. And this is where in my notes I almost started writing just exactly what I wanted to say. Because a long time ago, this gets really wacky. Just now it gets wacky. Like, let's take the... Argus was the most powerful Adenian god. And at one point, also their king. His wife, Delia, is super funky. a super powerful Adenian sorceress who has visions of the future. One of her futures shows... One of her visions shows a future where fighters get so powerful due to con- continually participating in the Mortal Kombat tournament <laughs> that it actually rips the fabric of the universe apart. So they get tasked by the Elder Gods to figure out a solution to this. Argus just wants to kill them all. Delia's like, yeah, but some of them are heroes, so maybe they don't deserve that. So she comes up with some fucking wacky-ass bullshit. (laughs) (laughs) 
Uh, what Delia comes up with and is ultimately the plot of Mortal Kombat or Armageddon is that their sons, Taven and Dagon, good and bad. We should also take a moment to point out here real quick that thanks to PS2 era graphics, she is, is basically a pair of tits with like half a head with a hood over it. Yes. Like her head is smaller than her chest is at this point. So, you know, Mortal Kombat was still super classy in this era. Taven and Dagon would be placed into hibernation and guarded by two different dragons to be awakened when the power level of the universe got high enough. Uh, they would be awakened by an elemental that she was going to create and then drawn to race to the top of a pyramid uh, to battle with e each other with weapons given to them by their father and armor created for them by their mother. Uh, in the course of the battle, it was a race to see who would kill the elemental the fastest. Whoever won would gain the power of the elemental, became become Adenia's next protector, and the release of power from that happening would either kill or strip the superpowers of all the combatants in the pyramid below. <laughs> and this is where Blaze comes from. The elemental is Blaze. As you pointed out, Blaze was first seen in Mortal Kombat 2 in the background as an Easter egg that fans created all sorts of rumors about. The idea was, around the time of Mortal Kombat 1, the universe got that powerful, and Blaze went to go wake up Taven and Dagon. He gets caught by uh, a cult. Whoops. Uh, I can't remember the name of the cult, but it's the one that serves Onaga. You know, as, it, as you do. Probably the dragon cult or yeah, something. Yeah, it's either the dragon cult or the shadow cult. No, the shadow priest, I think, worked for Shang Tsung. Or Shao Kahn. There's um, a lot of cults in this game. And gets cursed into guarding Onaga's egg. So he has to stay at the egg until Onaga gets defeated, at which point he resumes his previous quest. <laughs> Um, the timeline doesn't actually add up for him being on the bridge as like, that's when he was going to wake up Taven and Dagon. But I think you could pretty easily be like, well, that's just one of his fights protecting the egg then. Sure. Yeah. Whatever. However, when he got uh, imprisoned and cursed by the cult, that cut off his communication to one of the dragons. So Dagon got released a couple centuries early and was the founder of the Red Dragon. The Boring Dragons got the, the boring demigods? Dragons. And their whole point was they were actually searching for his brother so that they could just kill him in incubation and Dagon could just go get all the power for himself. Wow, Red Dragons have such a more intense backstory than the Black Dragons, who are thugs. Criminals. Shouldn't use the word thugs. There are all of those side plots that I've been mentioning up to this point continue on into this, and they don't matter because of the end of this game. The canon ending of this game is that Taven kills Dagon, but is weakened to the point where he gets killed by Blaze. Uh, everyone dies except for Raiden and Shao Kahn. Shao Kahn beats Blaze and wins. As he's about to kill Raiden, Raiden uses the last of his energy and basically his dying spell to send a message to his past self in the first tournament and almost 
fucks the entire universe by deciding to play the pronoun pronoun game and simply sends the message, he must win. Helpful, Raiden. You can just say, I don't know who actually needs to win. Probably not Lou. So, after Armageddon is where we get the latest three, which is the... Mortal Kombat. The new generation, Mortal Kombat, Mortal Kombat X, and Mortal Kombat 11. This is where the story is more important than it's ever been before. And like I said, this cutscenes from those three games alone cover seven and a half hours. I think I have it written down so that I can get through it. And I'm going to try and make this five minutes. Okay. We're here for a while now, so let's do this. The first game essentially retells Mortal Kombat 1 through 3 with a couple key differences. Uh, and the biggest being that it includes almost the full cast from the start and condenses some of the shit, basically. Raiden sends the message to Raiden, whose amulet then cracks, kind of like a, as long as the amulet's cracked, then time is still cracked sort of thing. All right, I gotcha. Metaphor. Yeah. Uh, and he thinks that it means that Liu Kang must win. Uh, Liu Kang ends up becoming the last Earth contender anyway after Bihan gets killed by Scorpion. Uh, Liu, uh, Raiden, trying to change the timeline, actually almost manages to keep Scorpion from killing Bihan, but it doesn't quite work. Uh, Liu Kang wins, the amulet cracks some more. Whoops. Uh, Shang Tsung gets his life spared um, for losing by coming up with the idea to do the tourney in Outworld. Um, in this case, though, Raiden turns it down the first time. You can't turn down Mortal Kombat tournaments. So Shang Tsung gets a little bit of a loophole where he gets to unleash the Tarkat and hordes on Earth. Whoops. With that happening, Raiden's like, okay, fine, we'll do it. Second Mortal Kombat. <laughs> Let's go to Outworld. Tundra, steps, Tundra, who is Kwai Leong, steps up to become the new Sub-Zero. Uh, but Raiden changes the timeline so that he gets caught by the Cyber Ninjas instead of Smoke. Uh, Katana starts working for Earthrealm after learning about Melina's existence, rather than eventually switching because she falls for Lou. So because Raiden meddled, stuff is basically just starting to happen a lot faster. Yes. Raiden gets a vision of Liu Kang winning, so he tries to change it to Kung Lao, who ends up beating everybody but Shang... Uh, who ends up beating everyone but Shao Kahn, who then just walks up behind him and snaps his neck. Whoops! Uh, that pisses off Liu Kang, who mortally wounds him, and Raiden's amulet cracks more. Shao Kahn gets healed by Quan Chi, who in this timeline is the ruler of Netherrealm, uh, because Quan Chi's been hanging out anyway because Scorpion's been in the tournament and Scorpion is his personal assassin. Then he tells Shao Kahn that like, why are you guys fucking around with Mortal Kombat? You should probably just invade Earthrealm because it's not bound by the same rules. And he resurrects Sindel, brainwashed to be completely loyal to Shao Kahn, which drops the wards, allowing Shao Kahn to invade Earth, but not merge it. There's a big difference, which ends up making a big... Anyway. Invasion begins. Striker and everybody on Earth is fighting back. Shao Kahn ends up sacrificing Shang Tsung and infusing Sindel with the power of all the souls that he had built up. Uh, Cyber Sub-Zero is captured, reprogrammed, uh, infiltrates the Cyber Lin Kuei, gets found out, 
uh, has to go on the run and then finds Quan Chi making a soul nado in a cemetery, at which point he also finds out that Noob is his brother and beats him. While that's going on, Nightwolf shows up, beats Quan Chi, uh, knocks Noob into the Soul Nado, seemingly destroying them both, and meets up with the others as Liu Kang and Raiden leave to yell at the Elder Gods for not doing anything while this invasion's going on. Sindel shows up, kills Cabal, Striker, Cyber Sub-Zero, Jack, Smoke, and Jade. Jesus. Uh, and hurts the rest. If you go to YouTube and start typing in Sindel, one of the first thing that comes up is Sindel kills everybody. It's that cutscene. It's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it makes that entire game worth it. Well, this is also the point where they started giving their female characters personality and clothes more. Slightly more clothes. Um, the proportions are out of whack because of the graphics at the time, mostly. Like, nobody looks right. Like, I, it's not just they were making, like, the girls look out of proportion, like... The dudes look fucking weird in the in this title too, but this would have been PS3 era, so it's still a little mm -hmm. tweaky. And then they hurt the rest. Luke Hang and Raiden get told that the invasion doesn't break any rules; just uh, merging the realms prematurely does. Mm -hmm. uh, they get back to find Nightwolf sacrificing himself to kill Sindel, and then Katana dies in Luke Hang's arms. Raiden at this point is super desperate. He goes to Nether Realm to try to seek Quan Chi's help, and because of that, Liu Kang's like, "Dude, you fucking crazy." While Raiden's down there, he's like, "All right, Quan Chi, if you help me, I'll give you the souls of everybody that dies in this battle, including the ones that have already died, and you can have mine if I die." Quan Chi is like, "Jokes on you. Thanks to my deal with Shao Kahn, I already have their souls," and shows. All those people that I said just died, resurrected as revenants. Fighting for Quan Chi. Fighting for Quan Chi. But Quan Chi uses a few specific words while Raiden's down there, where Raiden's like, oh yeah, it's just the merger. He must win, has to be Shao Kahn. So he goes back, Shao Kahn shows up, Liu Kang still doesn't believe Raiden, so he's trying to go just fucking merc Shao Kahn right away. Mm-hmm. Raiden's like, we gotta hold back. We have to wait for the realms to merge because he's he's still trying to merge the realms and if he does it in the wrong order, the Elder Gods are gonna get pissed. So hold on, hold on. Fucking Lu won't listen to him, attacks Raiden. Their powers hitting each other accidentally ends up killing Lu. Okay. <laughs> Whoops. My bad, guys. Shao Kahn then beats Raiden without Mortal Kombat actually being invoked. So right as Raiden submits to him, he gets imbued with the power of the Elder Gods, spanks that ass, Elder Gods then rip fucking Shao Kahn apart themselves, and Earthrealm is restored. But surprise, Quan Chi let all that slip to Raiden in the first place, because this is all part of his and Shinnok's plan. Mortal Kombat 10. 10 is where I came back in in a big way, fell in love all over again. It's technically told, the story is technically told uh, in past flashbacks mixed up with the future. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to do it like that. I'm going to tell you what happened in the past and then what happened in the now. Good plan. The past is uh, two years after them beating Shao Kahn. Shinnok is trying to straight up 
Oh, Melina has become Khan out in the Outworld. Um, Good job. You've been trying for it for a long time. One of her generals, Kotal Khan, uh, is successful in his coup, and she is now leading rebel forces against him. Kotal is awesome. I will talk a little bit more about him soon, but the big thing is Shinnok and Quan Chi attack Earthrealm. Uh, Johnny Cage, Sonya, and Kenshi uh, make it to Raiden's Sky Temple just as Shinnok is getting there to try to corrupt the Earth's Jinsei, which is its life force, and that's held in a chamber at the Sky Temple. While fighting Shinnok, Johnny Cage does his green glow thing, which he had never done before in the storyline, in this rebooted timeline, in order to save Sonya, and it allows him to survive Shinnok's power uh, long enough for him to grab his amulet off of him, get it back to Raiden, who re-imprisoned Shinnok. Uh, Quan Chi runs off, they try to follow him, make it all the way to the nether realm. He still manages to get away, but while they're down there in his palace, they manage to restore Scorpion, Jax, and Sub-Zero to life. Sub-Zero is no longer Revenant Cyber Sub-Zero because Quan Chi didn't like him as a robot and had remade his body while he's been a Revenant. That's better. No one really liked Cyber Sub-Zero that much. In, so that's in the past. In the past. Mm-hmm. Which is two years after what we just talked about in between that and 25 years in the future, which is the now for mortal Kombat. mortal Kombat: the next generation, Johnny cage and Sonia Mary have a kid, uh, Cassie cage, and then divorce because of Sonia's commitment to her job. Also, I bet Johnny's a shit husband that too, but he's actually gotten a lot better in his old age. Oh, good. Uh, Jax also has a kid in major PTSD. Yeah. Having your arms ripped off. will do that to you. Mostly from his time as a Revenant having to work for Quan Chi. Being a zombie will do that for you. Uh, Kenshi has a kid who he leaves with a Shira Ryu and is trained by Scorpion. Kung Lao has a cousin who, oops, in the future he gets retconned into being his nephew. <laughs> so they're like, there's another Kung Lao cousin, the nephew. Yep. Not, can't do a third one. Uh, Sector manages to cyberize all the Lin Kuei except for Sub-Zero, who comes back, beats him, becomes Grandmaster. He uses the information in his memory banks of what Quan Chi did to the Shirai Ryu to make amends with Scorpion, and now they're BFFs. Uh, Scorpion has become the Grandmaster of the Shirai Ryu and has given up using his Scorpion code name and tends to go by Hanzo Hasashi, his real name. Also, it's revealed in the tie-in comics that the Kami Dogu still exist in this universe and have tasted the blood of the One Being, but now they're all daggers. One of them caused Sub-Zero's scar, but kind of fuck the tie-in comics because the only cool thing they really do is uh, let you know that Havoc still exists over in Chaos Realm. Alright, cool. Because <laughs> Havoc's great. Um, Brother of Cyclops. In the now, the new team, Cassie Cage, uh, Takeda, who is Kenshi's kid, Jackie Briggs, Jax's a kid, and Kung Jin, who's Kung Lao's mm-hmm. nephew, train with Sub-Zero and then are sent to the Outworld to help with the Civil War because Earthrealm has peace with Kotal Khan, but if Melina wins, they don't. that no goes more. away. Kotal Khan is a very stiff but fair ruler. He kills every... He's like Vlad the Impaler. He'll kill you just for being a thief. But that applies to everyone equally. <laughs> Kotal Khan will kill all. 
Uh, he's also my boy because he's part of the Oshtech and the Oshtech are Aztec inspired. And Which you're all about. Yeah. Good, good job, man. That actually does sound legitimately amazing. And he's such a better ruler than Shao Kahn. Like, Hard don't get me be. wrong. He's a shithead. But he's but not he's puts way. the lotion on his skin or else he'll get the hose again. Yeah. He's not straight evil. He's just... A dick. And he's just a dick. Yeah. Plus, you find out that him and Jade are a thing. And that's cool. I've always liked Jade. So. <laughs> also, Melina has bought Shinnok's amulet from Kano. Sony ends up making Kano squeal. They manage to capture Melina in the amulet in Outworld, and Kotal has Melina executed. Kotal then decides that Earth sucks and takes care at taking care of the amulet and takes it for Outworld and imprisons the new team as leverage. Uh, Jax and Kenshi assault the Netherworld and manage to take Quan Chi hostage. Uh, Jax gets him back to an Outworld refugee camp, only to have Scorpion show up to try to assassinate him for having murked all the Shirai Ryu in the past. Devora shows up, who I haven't mentioned yet and is a new character. Fuck. Alright, I realized I forgot to mention Devora. Devora is an insect chick who's from another one of those lesser realms that had been merged with Outworld way in the past. Uh, she was Kotal's second-in-command, and as... Pretty much as soon as he took Shinnok's amulet for Outworld, she revealed that she was a plant by Quan Chi and stole it back. Trixie. So Jax has Quan Chi. Scorpion shows up to assassinate him. Devora shows up. Quan Chi's lips move. Then his head comes off, but he did manage to complete his spell, so Shinnok's back. Shinnok and Devora take uh, Johnny Cage hostage and attack the Sky Temple, manage to corrupt Earthrealm's Jinsei and turn Shinnok into a giant demon creature. Team Newbie, led by Cassie Cage, uh, manages to pursue them. Kotal, like I said, is kind of a dick and almost throws them under the bus to, like, hear you guys get killed. And (laughs) that's going to buy Outworld a little bit of time for me to get my defenses going. Uh, but then the Lin Kuei show up and, like, beat down his forces. So they manage to make it through. Uh, Shinnok starts torturing Johnny Cage, which causes Cassie Cage to do her green powers for the first time and kick his ass. Uh, Raiden manages to purify the Jinsei, but in the process takes its corruption into himself. So now we have Dark Raiden again. Evil. We're then shown Liu Kang and Katana have taken over the nether realm in the absence of Quan Chi and Shinnok <laughs> and Ark. <laughs> Did not see that one coming. I'm not going to lie to you there. King and queen of the nether realm. Dark Raiden shows up to them and is like, I'm done with taking shit. Fucking the elder gods don't care about the rules of mortal combat. And we get screwed every time. So if you've been a, if you've been an enemy of earth realm in the past, I'm coming for you now. And throws Shinnok's still living, still living decapitate, decapitated head down in front of them. Okay. And that's where the new one starts. Wait, but they haven't been an enemy of Earth in the past. Like, they're... Well, so, I like to think of Outworlders as being a lot like uh, the Varangian Guard. Ah. They're very loyal to whoever the Emperor is. It doesn't matter what the Emperor does. So when Shao Kahn was trying to invade Earthrealm, Outworlders were still stupid behind him. When Kotal Kahn didn't invade Earthrealm, 
They were fine. They with were it. fine with it. And then at the very end, Kotal tried to get in the way of the Earthrealmers as they're. So now we're at, okay. So oh, and I mean Nether Realm was Shinnok and Quan Chi, so. Raiden's also pissed at Nether So he's Realm. just against the Netherrealm in general. Not he's like against Netherrealm and he's against Outworld in general, both, because they've both been enemies of Earthrealm in the past and their Elder Gods haven't done shit. So he's like, fuck it. I'm just going to take the fight to them so We're they can't done. ever do this again. Mortal Kombat 11. Turns out Raiden decapitating Shinnok has pissed off his mother. Turns out Elder Gods have parents and they're the Titans and they're even more powerful. Where does Titans relate to, like, the one being so from from what's been revealed so far it would be one being titans elder gods gods this is like trying to listen to the plot of the supernatural tv show and like well now it's time to fight the devil's cousin and it's also theorized because it's never been revealed but because of the power he's shown that shao khan is one of the gods okay i mean yeah he is raiden strong yeah so, Shinnok's mother is Kronika, the ar- architect of time, and one of the Titans. She is all for balance in the universe, but her idea of balance is an eternal war with wa- warriors on both sides just constantly fi- fighting and dying throughout history. Oh, that's charming. So, what she wants to do is recreate the timeline without Raiden <laughs> so, th- so that she can pit her daughter... Uh, Cetrion, the goddess of purity, against her son, Shinnok, the god of darkness, for eternity. This is Mother of the Year Award right here. Uh, So Dark Raiden, and this is, once again, another two years have passed since the last game. Dark Raiden and the special forces attack the Netherrealm. He tricks them, I think, with promises of oil, but I'm not positive. It is Earthrealm, though, so... Uh, we'll probably do it. They managed to destroy their castle, that of Liu Kang and Katana's, but Sonya dies in the process, and Kronika uh, allies with evil Liu Kang and evil Katana. Oh, so they right are just after. straight up evil now. Yeah, they're okay. they're evil. They're rulers of another realm. They don't give a shit. Like, all right, God, Liu Kang's gone evil like six times now. Kotal Khan is in the process of trying to execute the Collector, who's a loyalist to Shao Khan, but. Right when that's happening, a time storm happens. Out pops Shao Kahn, Shao Kahn, Scarlet, and Baraka, who was killed earlier by Devora, are back. As well as younger versions of Kano, Aaron Black, Jade, Raiden, Katana, Liu Kang, Johnny Cage, Sonya, Jax, Scorpion, Cabal, and Kung Lao. So they wanted to use everybody again. Yeah, but not just everybody. This is 25 years in the future, and these are all grabbed, presumably from right after the events of Mortal Kombat 3 of the original timeline. Okay, so now we have people from both timelines here. This makes the X-Men look straightforward. Uh, There's a big fight. Oh, and them showing up also completely undoes Dark Raiden even existing. So Raiden's a good guy now. So Raiden's back to good. There's a big fight. Devora gets Baraka, Scarlet, Shao Kahn, Aaron Black, and Kano out of there and recruits them all for Kronika. 
Liu Kang and Kung Lao make nice with Kotal Khan, go check out the Special Forces building, and then go to head to Wuxi Academy. When they go to the Wuxi Academy, they find Giris, who is also an agent of Kronika, stealing some containers full of Earthrealm Jinsei. He manages to get away. The Special Forces learn that Sector is back, along with Noob Saibot, and a cybernetic Frost, who has... Much like Sector, just been like, I want to be cybernetic. Let's do this. And they're trying to make a cybernetic army for Kronika. Hanzo and Sub-Zero shut that shit down. But as soon as they leave, young and old Kano show up and work with Sector to still make them, just not as many as they were going to be able to make as before. Kano's the only guy that'd be like, all right, y'all, I'll team up with my younger self and not kill him and just be shitbirds together. Uh, Raiden then finds out that the Elder Gods were killed by Cetrion. Kotal Khan and Jade go try to convince the Tarkatans not to ally with Shao Kahn, but get captured. Special forces get destroyed by the newly rebuilt Cyber Lin Kuei, since Kano showed up and they weren't actually able to stop it. And everyone falls back to the Shirai Ryu Fire Gardens. Cassie Cage uh, leads her strike force to save her parents. Uh, Sonya kills both Kanos by murking the younger one. Young good Katana, Liu Kang, and Kung Lao fight Baraka so that the Tarkatans and the Shokans will play nice together because Baraka and Shiva have been warring. Uh, and then Katana also saves Kotal Khan from getting executed by Shao Khan, blinds Shao Khan, and becomes Khan in the process. So now it's Katana Khan. <laughs> I just like that name. And, and I would go to Katana Convention. And unites all of the forces of Outworld for the first time. Also at this point, Kotal Khan is paralyzed. That part's kind of a bummer. Young Jax and Jackie go to get one of Kronika's items of power, the Crown of Souls, that is currently on Shang Tsung's island, but are beat there by Cetrion and old PTSD Jax, who is working for Kronika because PTSD issues and rage. Mm -hmm. Hanzo Hasashi goes to recruit Charon down in the Netherrealm so that they have a ride to get to Kronika's palace to take her out. While he get when he gets there, he runs into young asshole Spectre Scorpion. During their fight, he actually convinces Scorpion to become a good guy, but then gets stabbed in the back by Devora mortally. So old Scorpion dead, young Scorpion alive. But young Scorpion is being a good guy now. But he's still back to being Scorpion. Right. He with his dying wish, Scorpion brings Hanzo's body back to the Fire Gardens. Where, of course, being young Spectre Scorpion, Raiden attacks him on sight. Whoops. And not just attacks him on sight, but resorts to using Shinnok's amulet against him. Whoops. Liu Kang goes, fuck that noise. And he makes Raiden realize that in every single timeline, Kronika finds a way to make those two fight. Which, or and even kill each other, because now they've all been having like these weird time flashbacks and have been able to exchange stories and shit. And he's like, so if she always makes us fight, then, then maybe we should we probably do that. Yeah, maybe we should team up, and that's probably the how we can take her down. Of course, as soon as he convinces Raiden of that, he gets kidnapped by Kronika. <laughs> Liu Kang wins has been changed to Liu Kang gets boned. All the armies attack. 
they pretty much win. Garrus gets thrown into the Sea of Blood. Frost gets shut down along with the rest of the Cyber Lin Kuei. Uh, Old Jax manages to defect, thanks to Jackie talking some sense into him. And while all of that good stuff is happening, Revenant Liu Kang absorbs young Liu Liu Kang's soul. Whoops. Revenant Liu Kang then fights Raiden. Raiden wins, teleports young Liu Kang's body, and merges all three of them together to create Fire God Liu Kang. Wait, so Revenant Liu Kang, Revenant Liu Kang, that ha- yeah, Revenant Liu Kang, well, Revenant Liu Kang's power bound with young Liu Kang's power because he just absorbed his soul. Um, Raiden's godly essence and Raiden's godly essence are both put into young Liu Kang's body. Okay. Turning him into Fire God Liu Kang. Fiery guys is never good in the world of Mortal Kombat. Fire God Liu Kang beats Kronika but she turns back history so far that he doesn't have any choice but to leave Katana mortal. And Liu Kang, with Raiden as his advisor, have to reshape history from basically the prehistoric era on. And that's when Aftermath, the first ever story DLC for Mortal Kombat, happens. And this is the last bit of the story. You promise. I'm right at the end, yeah. <laughs> so as he goes to change history, Shang Tsung, Fujin, and Nightwolf show up out of the void where they were banished because they turned down Kronika. They didn't show up in all this Kronika nonsense. Turns out Fire God Liu Kang broke the Crown of Souls when he beat Kronika. And without this Crown of Souls, he can't reform history without destroying the entire timeline. And his goal is to be like, I want my friends back and shit. So mm-hmm. Shang Tsung says, if you endgame us and send us back in time to grab it before it gets destroyed, then he's like, I know where it's at before she gets it because it's on my island. So send me, us back to there. We can grab it and keep it alive and you can reform history. It's obviously a trick, even from the beginning. Because it's Shang Tsung. But Fire God Liu, but Fire God Liu Kang whispers a few things to Fusion because Fusion's the one that's really like getting up in arms about it, and is like, "All right, cool, let's let it go." They go back in time <laughs> again. This is like the fifth or sixth time they've gone back in time now. They pop out during the execution of Kotal Khan that Katana interrupted, but they aren't so stealthy that Kronika is oblivious to them having gone back in time. They figure out that they probably need Sindel's power to be able to take on Cetrion when they get to Shang Tsung's island. So they run to the Nether Realm, grab her spirit, and then run back to Outworld to use the Chamber of Souls to heal her. Plus, Kotal Khan ends up walking again while they're at the Chamber of Souls. Like, he gets healed and shit. They go to the island, win, and get Old Jax back on their side early. Perfect, great. More robot arms. They go back to the fire garden to convince Raiden that everything that they're doing is real. Kronika shows up and they fend her off, but she manages to let slip. Shang Tsung designed and created the Crown of Souls. Definitely not something you should let him be touching. The attack from before where they manage to, you know, win and get all the way up to Kronika starts. And as it starts... 
Shang Tsung signals Sindel. Now, this part is way up in the air. Some people are thinking it's a retcon. Some people are thinking they made a mistake. And some people are thinking that maybe the soul of Sindel they grabbed was from a completely alternate timeline. But it's revealed that Sindel never needed to be brainwashed into being completely loyal to Shao Kahn. And that she had started an affair with Shao Kahn when she was alive and was the one to kill her husband. Secret snap turns out she's just evil. They throw Garrus into the Chaos Realm, imprison all the cages, defeat Katana Khan, Lu, and Jade, uh, throw Kung Lao into the Sea of Blood, and decapitate Kotal Khan. Uh, Raiden figures out Raiden figures out their plan while he's fighting Revenant Liu Kang, but is too late to actually do anything. Uh, Fujin gives Shang Tsung the crown. He then drains Raiden and Fujin of their souls, uses Shao Kahn and Sindel's armies to sort of pave the way to him getting to Kronika, drains their souls, absorbs Kronika, and then Fire God Liu Kang taps on his shoulder. And so now it's superpowered Shang Tsung versus Fire God Liu Kang. And that's where we're left to try to guess where the story goes from here. If you choose Fire God Liu Kang, or if you choose Shang Tsung, I'll mention that one first. He keeps Raiden and Fujin as slaves as he, he doesn't, it seems like he reforms the timeline some, but only so that he can then like, like wage conquest across the entire universe. If you choose Fire God Liu Kang's ending, everything gets rebuilt. Except there's no Lu, and Fire God Liu Kang shows up to the Great Kung Lao at the very end to train him to be his champion in Mortal Kombat. So everything just gets completely reset. So the big question is, where is it going to go from here? I realized that this podcast ended up being way longer than I thought it would be. Oh, yeah. I, I knew it, this was going to be a long one. And that us. it took me way longer to get through my notes than I thought it would. <laughs> you had nine pages. 14 pages. You had 14 pages. What? <laughs> That is not better. <laughs> um, up until Aftermath, I had no guesses. At the end, Before Aftermath was introduced, the ending was literally, Fire God Liu Kang is that prehistoric era and can restore history. But it's always kind of been in the modern era of Mortal Kombat that you can piece together everybody's arcade endings and have an idea of where it's going next. I knew after the last game, due to everybody's arcade endings, that... Raiden was 100% going to invade Nether Realm and probably Outworld as well. That did end up happening, but it was a much smaller part of the plot than I thought it was going to be. Like, yeah. This time, though, it's, whoa, way open, because they still have to reform history. I think it's probably going to go more along the lines of the Liu Kang ending. That would make sense, although I could see... I don't think we're getting, Shang- de- I don't think we're getting Deadly Alliance on this one. <laughs> I could see Shang Tsung winning and then, like, him bringing back everyone else to be his slaves or something, and they have to do, you know, rebellion. The thing is, with most of the arcade endings, the arcade endings are usually non-canonical because they give everybody, like, their best ending. But they're always kind of what-ifs, and because all of them, it shows them not just beating Kronika, but getting the Crown of Souls. Jax gets rid of racism. It's great. It pissed off so many people. Yeah. This last one made so many people angry because they're like, maybe the women should have clothes and personality and we should say racism's bad. So if I had to guess what's coming next, based Please. on what I've seen from the endings, it seems like reforming time 
might not have the same effect on some of the other realms as it does on Earth Realm. And we know that Chaos Realm for sure exists due to the tie-in comics and the fact that Geras is thrown there by Shang Tsung in Aftermath. I think they're going to go back to like the Deception storyline of Order Realm versus Chaos Realm, at least a little bit, because they seem to be possibly ruled by different titans other than Kronika. Well, if it's anything based off of every game I've just heard, it'll start one way and then they'll quickly <laughs> reveal that that's not actually important and let's do this weird thing now. Also, it seems like if you're going to reset time, I don't care who you are, it doesn't work. Right. Well, and that's a, So another thing that most of the endings showed was that no matter how they reset time, most of the characters still ended up existing in some way, even if they existed just to be killed off super early. Mm-hmm. Like, all of, all of the characters still end up existing in some way. The dialogue with Fire God Liu Kang's ending kind of seems like he's surprised that Kung Lao doesn't act more like the Kung Lao he knows. And so it's kind of up in the air whether it's even supposed to be be the great Kung Lao, or if it is him talking to a modern day, simply different Kung Lao. Because they looked basically the same. So like, let's just make this more confusing. I do think it's going to go a little bit more into some of the other realms, especially Order Realm versus Chaos Realm sort of things. Mortal Kombat probably still has to exist because it seems like there's not a lot they can change from the timelines, but I'm wondering how that affects mostly like Shinnok and Shao Kahn and stuff, but... I hope they try something new because they've kind of milked redoing the previous games as far as they can... About as far as you can go. Yeah. By literally making games one through three redone. Like four times. Yeah. God, I hope I didn't bore you all to death. I thought I was going to be able to get through that quicker. (laughs) It's okay. We're trying new things. Art is making things, Tyler. I know. I know. (laughs) It was half that I thought I had my my notes a little bit better laid out, but I'm learning. Magic of editing. I'm learning. Uh, is there anything that came up from that that you would like to question me now on, even though we've took a ton of time off? I'll be honest. I'm going to have to listen to that again to keep <laughs> most of it. Like, oh, uh, oh, uh, just going to mention Rain because there's that many Prince jokes in one character and he didn't come up and it's so good. Uh, Rain is... In the original timeline is half God because he is also one of Argus's sons, but from a different mother than Delia. He is a he was the purple ninja background character that they made a prince and his name is Rain. He is just a love letter to Prince. Yes. Anything else about him doesn't matter. Purple ninja. Um, also, if they do one more combat pack, he's probably the character most deserving to come back into the game. People like him. I always liked Reptile. Reptile was my boy back in number two. He hasn't been my boy as much since, but in well, number two... I wasn't two, good with him. There was just something about his kind of pathetic self that I loved. Reptile in two was my boy. Ever since then, I don't know. I, in the, I mean, in this latest game, I'd say it's either Noob or Kotal. You do seem very fond of Kotal. Fucking love Kotal. <laughs> I don't like that he likes the sun so much, because I personally don't like the sun, but... The Ashtek are kind of sun-powered, so... That's gonna do it, yeah. That's all I have on Mortal Kombat. I... For once, I took most of the talking. Yeah, 
I am going to, I think, go see how expensive the game is on the Switch and pick up. If they have them, should I go with Mortal Kombat 2011 or should I just go so, this boy? No, 2011 is MK9. That's the one that still has really fucked up graphics. Okay, don't do that one then. That one, the best thing to do is to, like I said, search Sindel Kills Everybody. <laughs> um, the best would be either MKX or MK11. Okay. I wish they reused a couple of the new characters from X a little bit more in 11, because um, Kenshi's kid is really cool. Oh, he's Kenshi's kid. You got Kung Lao's it. nephew isn't as cool, but Kenshi's kid is really cool. Kung Lao's kid uh, nephew comes from the line of Luke Hang and Kung Lao. Like, he's starting at a disadvantage. Kung Lao is an archer. A Shaolin archer. Uh, Takeda, Kenshi's kid, has uh, arm whips that he can control telekinetically. Yes. <laughs> Everything about that, yes. He's just the constrictor from... Or I guess Omega Red would be a better... Reference to make. <laughs> he he has arm whips that he can control telekinetically and was trained by Scorpion himself. Takeda is so much cooler. What if Whiplash was interesting? Okay. Um, yeah, that's it. <laughs> I don't know. I just went through the entire history of all the games of Mortal Kombat. Yeah, Kong I need now. an app, and I gotta go do another podcast after yeah. this. Yeah. <laughs> so, that's all I have. Okay. Thank you, everybody. <laughs> uh... What are your recommendations for the Jesus week? Christ. Um, <laughs> the new Agents of Atlas. Okay. In one of the first episodes I did, I recommended Agents of Atlas. It's a book I've lent to you. I saw it on your bookshelf the other day. Yes. And I went, ooh, I should read that. No, I should read the other 15 comics I have to read. I should finish reading it. It's so good. <laughs> I'm halfway through it still. It's amazing from what I've read still. Agents of Atlas in the original was using a bunch of characters from the 1950s. The Gorilla Man the original Marvel boy, Jimmy Woo, who's like Asian Nick Fury. Um, and then when they recreated the Agents of Atlas recently with Greg Pak, who is a good writer, but not someone that I've... He's not someone I follow really closely. Decided that they were going to do all of Marvel's Asian characters on a super team. So Amadeus Cho, who was the Hulk and is down on his brawn. Jimmy Woo... Uh, Silk, who is a oh, was Silk. bitten by the same spider that bit Peter Parker, uh, a, a few characters that they made in some deal with China, including White Fox, Silver Fox, something like this. Basically, a Chinese demon that works in a similar role to Black Widow. Okay, secret agent lady, secretly demon is great. Uh, a few other characters that they had invented for it. And at first, I was like, I don't. It's kind of like Birds of Prey, but with Asian characters instead of all women. I don't know how I feel about this. I love the Agents of Atlas so much. Like, is that the name they wanted? And it's really charming. And they don't forget the history of Agents of Atlas. So it's like both teams can exist, which makes it way more interesting to me. than mm -hmm. then let's take this name that we weren't currently using and do something completely different with it. It's very charming. It's... Written by a guy who has real experiences as a, I think, first or second generation American. Hmm. So it actually deals with Asian culture mm -hmm. in... A, oh, Shang-Chi is in it as well. Oh, okay. Yeah, Shang-Chi's great. But, like, let's deal with these in a respectful way as opposed to the really common tradition of the yellow peril that still comes up when the Mandarin shows up. As much as I love the Mandarin. He's problematic. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. So I'm going to go with that. It's good. Nice. Nice. 
I'm still reading it. I'm not super far in. I said that I, I had my recommendation for this week last week, and I'm going to save it for the next episode because I was going to give it as homework. But I'm like, fuck that. I'm not going to give homework for an episode. I'm, <laughs> I'm just going to attach it to that episode. If you're going to listen to it anyway, it'll be of interest to you. So if this episode interested you, then one property of Mortal Kombat I didn't talk about that I want to recommend that will take you all of eight minutes to watch. Yes, I know what you're talking about. Mortal Kombat Rebirth. It's a 2010 short film put out by uh, Kevin Tancharan, who went on to do the Mortal Kombat Legacy web series, which this is all right. It's, it's all right. It's fine. It's like a gritty, realistic reimagining of the Mortal Kombat mythology done in the form of... I mean, they call it a short film. It's basically like an eight-minute trailer for a Mortal Kombat movie that never happened. It's two cops. It's Jax and Sonya Blade, but played by... By Michael Jai White uh, is Jax. Fucking and Spawn. Spawn is playing Jax. Oh, my God. And uh, Jerry Ryan. Seven of Nine from Voyager, who is playing, at that point, the only interesting version of Sonya Blade that had ever been made. Yeah. Uh, you get uh, Ian Anthony Dale as Scorpion, and he went on to be Scorpion in Legacy. That was fine. Uh, you get, like, what is it? You get, like, a sh really quick glimpse of Sub-Zero. You get a really quick glimpse of Shang Tsung. And the main thing is there's a fight between Matt Mullins as Johnny Cage and Latif Crowder as Baraka. And in this one, Baraka's just a serial killer that's taped a bunch of, like, knives to himself. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and you get the really fucked up reptile, too. Yeah, it's great. It's... I don't usually go for gritty reboots, but this one was already so over-the-top that watching just a different version of Over the Top worked. Also, the fight is really good. Very well done. Uh, Latif Crowder uh, does a lot of stunt work. He is most known for his fight... Uh, in The Protector against uh, Tony Jaa, where he's the the Capera guy that's in like the water. I don't know if you've ever seen The Protector. A but, long time ago. Uh, but the most interesting thing about Latif Crowder is he is Mando when it's not Pedro. Oh, right. Good job, Mando. <laughs> yeah. So go watch Mortal Kombat Legacy. See the most fucked up version of Mando. <laughs> That's why he never takes off the fucking helmet. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's cool. It's like eight, ten minutes, something like that. Super grim, dark, but a really neat fight in the middle of it. So, And it's Mortal Kombat, and that ties into the rest of this shit. Oh, yeah. Uh, that's our show for today. Come back next week, where we are going to talk about Your Fave is Problematic. And we've, how we deal with it. We've been talking about doing this episode since it first came out. We're going to have guests. We're admittedly still working on which guests. Um, so you might have some returning voices. This will not be an episode so much about, like, this person's bad and you shouldn't like them. Or, like, a hard and fast, like, this is the line where it becomes unacceptable. But just I mean, you still might learn that some people are bad. That oh, maybe yeah. You didn't There's know no way we're not going to talk about certain aspects of the stuff around. But it's more for well-intentioned peeps trying to figure out where the line is for us and like how you deal with finding out oh it turns out your favorite author's a crap sack still not over it still not done with that one um 
<laughs> yeah. And hopefully we'll have, I don't know. Hopefully it'll just turn in. I'm not sure how the next episode is actually going to turn out, but I think we're, we're hoping just for some good discussion. We're trying for some new stuff this month. And we also just want to finally get this episode out of the way so we can stop talking about it and stop just like having to randomly yell, Lovecraft is racist. Oh, I'm going to keep, I'm going to yell that like 15 times. I mean, we're going to do we're that. We're getting but... that out there. That might be my intro. Anyways, in the meantime, uh, if you enjoyed listening to us, please like, subscribe, give us a review. That'd be cool. What did you say? Like, subscribe. Review. Review. It's been a long day, guys. This is a long podcast. Please go check out our website, <laughs> uh, General Nerdcast at. That's our email. Just general. No, Gen- generalnerdcast.com uh, to check out. Fuck. Let me start that again. Magical editing. <laughs> also, please go check out our website, generalnerdcast.com. Check out all of our back catalog. You can contact us through the website or by emailing us generalnerdrepod at gmail.com. While you're over at the website, you can click the links up at the top. We are part of the Earverm Podcast Network. Uh, check out the other shows on there. Listen to me get stoned and talk about horror movies over on Fried Squirms. Zach. Listen to me talk about war treatises and how to translate that into other nerd stuff over at The Art of Wargaming. And please check back to that website, earverm.com, E-A-R-V-V-Y-R-M.com, to keep up on anything else that will be coming out from the network, hopefully sooner rather than later. I know we keep saying that. 2021. Look, if New Mutant still hasn't come out, I don't have to feel that bad about like having this podcast no one's heard of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Our other podcasts will come out when New Mutants do. Oh, God. <laughs> We're sorry. <laughs> Until that day. I'm Zach. I'm Tyler. Dismissed. Dismissed. <laughs>